Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a football Friday. Plus the Jazz Road opener tonight in Sacramento. We're going to start you off with some football right now with Ed Lamb, BYU assistant coach. The Cougars headed to Washington State. Here is Ed. Yeah, Coach, uh, what, do you, what do you make of uh, pre- the challenge of preparing for a team that might be adding coaches to its staff at, at some point this week? Uh, what impact do you think that could potentially have on Saturday? I think, you know, the only pertinent impact is probably that it could be a distraction, just something, you know, us wasting time thinking about something that we have no control over. Um, you know, the, the, the rumors that we've heard about who might be coming back and helping out to Washington state, that's, those are guys that that's where that system came from. That's Rolo's background. And, and so I think they'll continue to do the same. We had, I just finished talking to the team about this. Some of our best performances a season ago when we, uh, lost five or six coaches a week uh, on some of these occasions to COVID uh, measures. Those were some of our best performances. This game is about players. It's 99% about players and, and 1% about coaches. Our players know that. That's what we, that's what we want to believe. That's what we do believe. And our guys will be fine. What, what challenges does schematically does the run and shoot offense pose for this 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 defense uh, is there any comparables that you face this season to that kind of run a similar deal to the run and shoot um, not exactly I think every week there there are some teams that are borrowing that that offense has been so successful for so long but in terms of the pure form of it what we're looking at is really the site adjustments that can expose any uh, any crack in the defense so any anytime you give these guys enough area they will find it that's what they're so adept at and they will continue to hammer away at formations and motions and personnel groups until they find where the defense is is weak in some area and so defensively we just got to be as tight as we can possibly be get off the field as quickly as we can and uh, and limit those opportunities for them to find where the space is okay we have questions now from Jay Drew and then Norma yeah, Ed, um, a lot of, lots being made of losing Keenan Peely. I know you're not directly involved with the linebackers right now, but how do you think the other guys have adjusted? Is it, is it uh, being overplayed that they're struggling, or, or are we missing something there? Yeah, I, I think um, to, to underplay the, uh, the loss of Keenan Peely would, would be a mistake there. You know, I, I want to start with that. Like that's a, that's a huge loss. He was on the field um, a lot for us and in a critical role for a reason. And that reason is he was, he was uh, one of our best, one of our very best players with a bright future in front of him still. And uh, you know, I, that being said, I believe in the guys that we have in their abilities, any struggling, any struggle that we have right now going on, on defense, I'll put that on myself and the, and the coaching staff, and not the players on the field. I, I think our players on the field are capable of playing what we consider elite defense, shutdown defense. And, uh, and until we do that, um, you know, we, we as coaches need to put the burden on ourselves. And then just the, the onside kick, um, where was the breakdown there? Uh, I think the, you know, anytime there's a breakdown like that in a game, you give the opponent credit for the execution and, uh, and again, take, put it on the, the coaching staff. That's, that's on us not to have our players um, ready for that moment. Um, you know, there's a, there's a big difference between, uh, for a coach, between saying, oh, I, I said that, I taught him that, and then 
um, you know, did he learn that? And in that situation, our, we did not learn and perform to the level that we needed to to be successful. So, again, that's 100% on the coaches. Okay, Ed, um, now reviewing film from both um, the game two games ago and then now this most recent game, is there anything that you can pinpoint that you could say, um, like, this is specifically what the defense needs to fix in order to have more successful games or like just know like this is where we're kind of lacking? Good solid defense always starts with shutting down the opponent's running game. No matter how much the, the running game is the feature of the offensive style, it's still we want teams to have to play, um, you know, one-handed, so to speak. And so it, it all begins with being sound and solid up front and taking away the run game. <laughs> And what's sort of the first step to get you back, get the Cougars back to sort of those first five games and the, de the defensive performances that you guys had specifically like against Utah and Arizona State? Um, I didn't, I'm sorry, but I didn't understand the question exactly. Like what's the first step you guys have to take to, to fix the mistakes from these past couple of games to be able to to have more of that shutout performance like he did with against Utah or even against Arizona State. Mm -hmm. uh, well, I mean, I, is that a follow up question to playing better run defense? Just to and how the defense can improve in general. Better run defense is the first step. Okay. Next, we'll have a question from Sean Walker, and then a follow up from Mitch. Hey, coach. This actually probably bleeds a little bit. Uh, and into sort of that last question because it, I mean, stopping the run tends tends to lend so much towards physicality, uh, being more physical than your opponent, that kind of thing. And it seems like for the first couple of games of the season, uh, this team really pride itself on being the more physical team and maybe kind of lost that a little bit. I'm thinking in particular uh, last week against Baylor even. Is there a way to kind of in the middle of the season sort of rebreed physicality into, the, into a team or, or kind of re-engage a team to, to be more physical? And, and, or is it just kind of something that you have to sort of show them and go, hey, be more like that, I guess? I, yeah, I think um, it's, it's, it's definitely not one thing. I can list off um, many things that, that would allow us to uh, or encourage our guys to play more physical. I mean, one is to for the – as coaches to get more people at the point of attack schematically. And obviously there are trade-offs and, and risks and rewards, which, um, you know, anybody that plays video game football understands you put some more guys one place, you have less guys to put in another. You only have 11, but that's one way that we can get involved. We can also, um, you know, I think there are always at any given point in the season, there are underutilized players on the bench that should play bigger roles. And we have to keep an eye out uh, for that. I think as coaches, we have to make sure that as we get into the, the, the shape of the season and, and how important strategy is, that we don't forget that um, the technical part of the game is still the basic fundamentals of, of block shed and pad level and tackling well. And so we have to continue to coach and, and reward, coach the guys to do it well and reward the guys who are doing it well. Ed, after uh, Keenan went down, you guys switched Chaz from safety to linebacker. How do you feel he's, he's performed uh, in that position change? Well, I think Chaz has done a fantastic job. I think he's, uh, he's got a lot of athleticism. You know, we, I think we've referred to him before as a hybrid because he can play a lot of different positions for us. That utility has been critical as, as Keenan has gone down and we've had injuries 
other places on the defense, and Chaz has been able to move around. There's, that's a big challenge uh, to go from one one position to another, and uh, it's a selfless challenge. You know, obviously, a player is going to be much more comfortable playing one position over the course of a season rather than hopping around. So it's been a selfless de- decision on his part, and uh, we're we're really proud of the way that he's approached the game. He's he's constantly trying to get better. And um, he's, I would say he's in the same situation as our whole defense right now. We, we believe in ourselves, we believe in our ability, and the results have been unacceptable. And then on special teams, uh, Ryan Rico, we're planning on, uh, expecting to talk to him here momentarily. And he's up in, he's the guy that grew up in the Northwest. What do you remember about uh, recruiting Rico? I, I remember he was uh, the guy that was actually in the recruiting services, a heralded punter. Uh, what do you remember about his recruitment and, and the job that he's done thus far in his BYU career? Well, I tried to talk him into playing defensive end or tight end for us. That's the that's the first thing. But um, you know, we don't we don't actually go out and recruit um, punters and kickers with a scholarship very often. I think we'd have to be in pretty dire straits. And and generally, there are some guys around in the program that have the capability to kick and punt. So when uh, when we decided to offer him, it was for all the other reasons that he fit so well. I mean, a, a great athlete with a great frame, a big upside, multiple sports. And uh, we just felt like there was going to be a place where he could make a major impact for us. And then on top of that, the the academics and the, what he represented to his team and his community was just, just the right kind of fit, like any other position player. And uh, I would be kind of uh, you know, overstating my, uh, like, um, punter evaluation prowess if I told you that I like I went out and checked out his technique and all that stuff like I you know I'm I'm a sucker for length and speed and strength and good grades and character and that's what he represented there's Ed Lamb talking to the media we are going to take a break when we come back more football Lincoln Kennedy Raider analyst joins us next stay with us it's game week for the Utes, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It's another Pac-12 road trip for Utah as Kyle Whittingham and the Utes head to the Pacific Northwest to battle Oregon State in Corvallis. Catch the Ute pregame show Saturday at 4.30 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference. Nobody brings you better coverage of youth football. You ready? Yeah! Than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, time to bring in Lincoln Kennedy, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. He joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah being a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is already underway. Take advantage of the Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Lincoln, good morning. Gentlemen, good morning to you and all your listeners. How you doing? Good. Uh, you and Brent Musburger cracked me up again. Underrated comedy duo. So the Raiders throw a uh, screen pass to Jacobs, and he picks up 20, 25 yards, whatever it was. Good play. And Brent immediately pivots from describing the play to your reaction, and you're quiet. 
which I love about you not jumping in because I can hear Brent and I know what's going he's on. Pro. Yeah, you're pro. You don't scream over him when he's by, and I love that. And he's like, and my, and my man Lincoln is celebrating. He's wanted them to run that play for at least three years now, and it worked. And you're like, there'll be time to get into that later. Right now we got a game to get through, and they're coming back to the line of scrimmage. So I take it that with a new play caller and with the coaching change, there have been – I don't know how many changes. How significant was a play-calling change? Because certainly both of you, it was clearly an inside joke in the broadcast booth. Right. Well, I, you know what? You know what, What's funny about that is the moment it happened, I stood up, <laughs> and I had my headset on, and I started clapping. I started celebrating. The play wasn't even over. Jacobs wasn't even tackled yet. He was, I was like, finally. They finally ran a damn screen play because they needed help to help protect their, their line and their quarterback from rushes, aggressive rushers. And it's been something that I've been calling for for this, for this team for years, a drawn screen game. And so when I finally saw it, I was just like, oh, my gosh. Oh, i got to stand up and clap. So that's, that's where the whole, the whole thing was running. But, you know, the, the, the main difference between the way Olsen and Derek, I, I do believe they're working in, in tandem, um, Derek Carr, have been doing this. Uh, and it's only been one game, so we don't really have a, a, a huge sample size. But... They've, uh, you know, they've come up and they figured out. Derek Carr has a, a pretty good control of the check with me system. There are a lot of times where Olsen or or Gruden, when he was calling plays, would give Derek two options. He would call him in a huddle, and he would go to the line and check with check with them, check with me. And um, so he's ran that part, um, and he's still doing that. And I, I just think that I, I think Derek is even more so because to realize the weapons that he has at his disposal. Um, it's not always the focus on Darren Waller or trying to run Josh Jacobs, you know, trying to get him uh, you know, opened up and involved in stuff like that. So the possibility of using all the, all the weapons on the Raiders has really helped them. And, again, we only have one sample size, and that was the game in Denver, but they seem pretty, pretty efficient and effective throughout the day. I think just a personal commentary on your on your job as an analyst. I think the best thing about you is you're there to analyze, not cheerlead one way or the other. Right. And so that's why you're effective because you 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 you're just not there to put on the pom poms, uh, <laughs> and, and you know you're there to do a job, and that's what you do. Uh, six games. I'm still trying to figure out the Raiders in terms of how how for real are they, and I don't know that I really have the answer yet. It's a good question. Um... I still think we're trying to learn it as well, especially analysts and people who watch them uh, every game. Uh, look, I think the best thing that happened for them uh, amongst the distractions and all the turmoil that happened last week around Gruden was that they could go out there and play. Because I do believe coaches coach and players play. And when it comes to most, most programs, um, you know, when you have something that happens off the field, you try to put it behind you so you can go on the field and do what you do best or whatever arena you are in the way you play it. So I think it was a good outing. It was a solid outing. I mean, the Raiders were up, you know, what, 30, 31 to 10 or something like that for, for a while before they, the Broncos made it a little bit more interesting. Um, but it was, a, it was a good, solid showing that they're capable. Now, to answer your question, I think this is a good team. And I think this is a good team because for the main, the main reason this is a good team because Gus Bradley has brought a defensive mind and now the Raiders can play defense. Trust me when I tell you, it's been a long time since I've said that. More years than I can count and remember, I'm saying the Raiders have to outscore opponents, you know, by you know a large sum of points. And 
And last year, they were absolutely horrible. I think they were giving up probably close to 27 points per game. Um, but, you know, this year is a lot different. So the fact that they're, they're able to play defense gives them a stronger outing, a stronger chance. Now, I'll say this. I don't think they're a championship-caliber team. I don't think they're a team that's going to go to the Super Bowl. But I do think they are a playoff-caliber team. And you know, that is what it is. So once you get to the playoffs, once you get in, then anything can happen. Well, it's funny you say that because that is exactly what I was going to say. Is I thought they are a playoff contender, more likely playoffs than not, but I would not guarantee that they're a playoff team. There's still some flaws there, and it can still Certainly. go wrong. And there's no way I see them getting to the Super Bowl. There's some teams that just look to me like they're better than the Raiders. So the Raiders can get in. And now whether they last one or two games, but I wouldn't think anything longer than that. Any one game, anything happened, and they're good enough to win. Um, But I do wonder how much the coaching change in the middle of the year wrecks, because I've thought that of them for, you know, the the first month of the season. But I wondered if the coaching change wrecks all that, or do you think that even though it's already been a week, guys are kind of past that, or there are going to be problems popping up? I think guys are past it, and and the reason why is because Rich Basaccia, the interim head coach, is a, and has experience throughout the league and been around the league many years. The team well respects him. The coaches respect him. Um, the other coaches. And what Basaccia has done is Basaccia has allowed Gus Bradley to run his 25 guys on defense and Greg Olson to run his 25 guys on offense, and he's still running his special teams. So there hasn't been a shakeup. There hasn't been a sort of transition of power, if you will, because the only thing that's really changed right now with the dynamic of this team is who's calling the plays. John Gruden was the play caller when he was there, and you knew that he would never relinquish that as long as he was head coach. But now that he's not there, now there's a, there's a combined effort between Olsen and Derek Carr, um, and, and it gives Derek a little bit more of an input into how to call the player game plans that he wants to see. And they've been able to utilize a lot of guys, and even in the last game, you saw Kenyon Drake have a big game, finally getting in place uh, to do things what he can do well. You, you didn't necessarily see that when, uh, when John Gruder was, at the, was calling the plays. So by definition, these guys are pros, right? It's what they yeah. do, and it doesn't really matter on the sidelines who's doing what to them anyway. They've got a right. job to do. They're getting paid to do it, and they go out and do it to the best of their ability, and that's just the way it is, right? So you have the situation in Washington State, and uh, BYU plays them this week. These guys are college kids. Different circumstances involving the departures of the coach, but nevertheless, the result is still the same, and maybe even more so because they had some assistants that left, too. I think four assistants combined with Rolovich. So how do you think these players, and they're on a a pretty good run here. They've won three in a row. They've gotten to lower back, and he's, he's a playmaker and a gunslinger and all that type of stuff. Uh, kind of a little, you know, a little poor man's college version of Brett Favre. The way I look at him when I watch him play, I love to watch him play. Uh, but I'm wondering, how do you think this football team at the college level responds to this situation? Because it is different from the NFL level. I, I think there's a little bit more level of uncertainty um, that that is going to be left from Wazoo's um, uh, and team and coaching staff. The fact that they lost basically five coaches, head coach and four assistants, um, is a pretty pretty big hole. Now, you know, I know the defensive coordinator is going to take over, but 
when it comes to play calling, when it comes to just their overall, uh, I guess if you're if you're a Cougar right now, you're thinking about where where are you going to if you should stay, if you should look into the transfer portal, what you should do, or more importantly, because as you mentioned, they're a decent team. They they've got a winning record so far. You don't want to just wash the season. So there's a there's a greater level of uncertainty. It'll be interesting to see how they play. Um, you know, uh, Wazoo has had had some flaws. Obviously, I've covered them a couple of times and, and seen this team a couple of times. But I do think they have some strengths that they can work on. But it'll be interesting to see how they play through this, the midst of the, the, the distractions and stuff they've had to go through. So you played at Washington, and that means you're going to follow Oregon and Washington State. you got an in-state rival, and Washington and Oregon have had a thing for years, so that's great. And then there's Oregon State, the fourth team in that quad. But they're running the ball really well. They yeah. lead the Pac-12 in rushing yards. And you're a lineman. I know you respect that. You were an O-lineman oh, yeah. back in the day. So they're 4-2, they're 2-1, they're tied in the North lead. How much of a problem are they going to be for Utah? I think they're going to be a big problem for Utah. I think that if Utah's not careful, I think Utah's a better team overall. They should win this game. But if they're not careful, Oregon State can sneak up and get them. Because, look, Oregon State's secondary is pretty damn good. I think a lot of those guys are going to be playing on Sundays uh, in the compute in the near future. But the fact that they can control the ground game and control the clock and time possession by running the ball, it may, means Utah's got to watch out. Oregon State's a good football team. All right. Well, uh, how about uh, Utah? You think they've found their mojo now? I mean, to make the quarterback change, and and they haven't lost since. And and he came in the second half and had the great comeback against the Aztecs, but they lost that game, as we know. But since then, for whatever reason, and they've just looked totally different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is something that, that 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 they do look different. And I've thought highly of Utah, you know, all this season. We've talked all this year. Uh, and and I, I felt that they had turned the corner. I was pleased to see the watch that game against ASU and, and stuff like that and see that they're, they're, they're coming around. I think this is a strong team. I think this is a year that they can, you can definitely uh, – and they've got so much to play for. I mean, really, honestly, they're, they're a team within themselves. Of course, we know about the tragedies and losses that happened off the field um, with the, the players. But for the most part – you know, this team has been able to stick together amidst the distractions and the quarterback change and everything else and play good football. I really do think this is a good football team, and I expect them to go far. Do you buy into trap games and look at schedules and all that because they're coming off a big home win over ASU, which followed a big road win over SC? Right. And they got UCLA coming in yeah. right after the – in between they got to go to Oregon State. Yeah. So the the big thing that I've often told people when it comes to college football is just, it's almost impossible to keep an emotional high point for the, the for the level of these these young men. And what I mean by that is everybody was a schedule watcher. Doesn't matter who you are. When the schedule comes out, you look. Oh my gosh, we got SC, we got ASU, and, and then you're you're grading opponents, you're judging opponents, and you tend to have an emotional roller coaster when it comes to. Oh, well, I got to get up for ASU because we we struggled with that team, but Oregon State, man, we should handle them. They they haven't been anything. Um, that's the hardest thing about college football, and that's what the the, the toughest thing about Coach Whittingham is going to have to do with his guys is make sure that you talk up every opponent. That's what Don James did when I played for him. He talked up every opponent. Didn't matter what the Wren record was. He was like, if, if Oregon State had won a game to that point, um, this is a caged animal. Don't allow them to beat you. All that stuff. So um, it's, it's really difficult to get guys emotionally high and not overlook uh, teams. 
And usually, you know, you'll, you'll see it on game day when, it got, when the team comes out and jumps on you, and you're like, whoa, whoa, okay, let's wake up. We've got to find a way to get back into this game. And you're hoping that it's not that far. I'm saying Oregon State's a good football team. I do believe they're, 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 they're ones who are going to win the North. But I also think that, you know, Utah is a good football team that's going to win the South. I can see these two teams playing each other in the Pac-12 championship. So this is a big game coming up. A team in your town down there in, in Phoenix, really, and I'm, a, I'm an issue grad, so maybe I have a little yeah. bit more interest, but just, just completely I'm embarrassed for them and disappointed <laughs> with the repeated penalties. Right. Who's to blame? Um, you know what? I, that's a great point, question. Um, I know Herm Edwards personally, and I cannot see that he is not rolling over night, sleepless nights. Uh, and thinking about these penalties, it is ridiculous. Um, undisciplined, you just don't normally see that out of a Herm Edwards team. I, I, I think it's just a lack of accountability. And, and the fact is they're not doing enough off the field or on other days like on practice and stuff like that to, to, to get it right because these penalties are really, I agree with you, they're really ridiculous. And uh, unsettling, if you will, because when you watch in a game, you see a flow of the game, and all of a sudden you have an interruption of a penalty over a penalty over a penalty. It gets, it gets mind-blowing sometimes. Lincoln Kennedy joining us, Raider radio analyst, Pac-12 network analyst. So there's a possibility the Utes are going to play uh, in the middle of the afternoon a week yeah. from Saturday, and there's a possibility yeah. they're going to play at night. And I think we right. all assume that if Utah and or UCLA loses, they're going to get that 8.30 kickoff, which makes everyone cringe. So UCLA, are they going to hold up their end of the bargain? What are they going to do at home against uh, Oregon? That's uh, ABC 1.30 Saturday afternoon. Obviously, the coach against his old team and all that, but huge repercussions for both the North and South races. Yeah, no doubt. I, I think Oregon finally... I saw a little bit of a rhythm with them the last game I watched, and, and they, they, I think they got it. Look, they're, they're nowhere near perfect, but they're, they're still a, a solid team, even amongst the injuries. I think Oregon's going to find a way to get it together. I think Oregon gets to UCLA this week. Wow, you do, huh? Yeah. That's, uh, that'll be a shot in the arm for them. It's, it's funny because we go every week. Oh, okay, who's the favorite in the North? Who's the favorite in the South? Yeah. And it almost, like, changes every week. But and Isn't that great, though? I mean, don't you I, I suppose, I yeah, do. yeah. It's I fun. I, I love the fact that it's not... It's not top-heavy like so many other divisions yeah, and conferences okay. in football. You've got competition, and you can see that. You can see the fact that these, these guys go out there and they play, they play hard, and there, there are times where you know, it's a complete surprise. I love that about the Pac-12. That's one of the things I appreciate most in covering it. There is top to bottom. There's competition. But if Oregon wins this game, then we reinstall them as the favorite, the yes. way I look at it. Do you really think we're going to have the same old, same old in all these conference champions? Because in the ACC, Clemson, who's got a, a good run, is now chasing Wake Forest and NC State in their division. Oklahoma's undefeated, but so is Oklahoma State. Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State uh, are all undefeated in, pack, in Big Ten play. Uh, Alabama has a loss and Georgia doesn't. I mean, could we have all brand-new champions after years of the same schools repeating that would the conference be after conference? Because you won't be looking at the same thing. Now, keep yeah. in mind, keep in mind what I said, you know, Oregon's going to win this game. I still think Oregon State can beat them. I think Oregon State has wherewithal to beat Oregon. 
So if it comes down to the north side and those two teams are in uh, qualifying, um, then then I, I I think it'll be a, it'll be a new champion uh, possibly. And again, Utah, who's been there and done it before, hasn't necessarily been favored or thought of. It would be a great year for Utah to come out uh, of the South, especially when you look at the way UCLA is playing and and the fact that they just overcame ASU, who's been one of their normal nemesis for quite some time. Well, Lincoln, we appreciate a few minutes. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the game this week, and we will talk to you again next week. Always a pleasure, guys. I'm hoping I get more screens and draws so I can celebrate again with you next week. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) There's Lincoln Kennedy, Pac-12 Network Analyst and Raider Analyst. When we come back, Joe Ingles. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. BYU hits the road to Pac-12 country as Kalani Sataki and the Cougars square off against Washington State in Pullman. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5-1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Joe Ingles joined us in the 9 o'clock hour yesterday, episode 1, season 8. Yeah, I know, Joe's back for an 8th season, can you believe it? Here's Joe Ingles with PK and I now. He'll reference last night, he's talking about the opener, but you get the point. Here's Joe. Hey, yeah! This is the Zone Sports Network. Back to Joe and he'll flush! And it's time to hear from the best looking, most charismatic. And certainly the most intelligent member of the Utah Jazz. Jingle Bells! Bam. Joe Ingles. Gives it back to Joe till the cop slams it in. And yes, for the record, Joe wrote this introduction. This is the Joe Ingles Show. <laughs> With DJ and PK. Who? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone. And The Zone Sports Network. DJ PK, it's time to welcome back the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Ingles, back for another another year. And he joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain notes that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is already underway. Take advantage of their save now, pay later promotion, and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Joe Ingles, the man, welcome back to the show. How are you? Good. That was a hell of an introduction, and you read that little ad so fast. <laughs> it's a long ad. I've had to read a lot. <laughs> well done. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm proud of you as well. Way to come out in game one and remind everyone that you can still shoot the three ball. <laughs> I I wouldn't say I was nervous before the game because I, I, that kind of nerves of playing basketball has been long gone, but... I was a little like, anxious to get out there because obviously I didn't play much in the preseason at all, really. Um, and I think I played one half or maybe just over just over the half, whatever it was. And um, again, not not nervous, but just obviously wanted to to see how I felt. And uh, I really hadn't played a game, a, a, a real game, proper game, um, 
since the the bronze medal game. So um, yeah, I was ready to get out there. I didn't know how my lungs and my legs would feel, but um, yeah, I felt really good and and obviously good to to get a win and um, and and hit a couple shots and. Um, overall, um, a lot of good things to take from from the first game. So, what do you think? Seventy wins this year? That's a lot of wins. Um, <laughs> I mean, I hope we win as many as we can. <laughs> I'm not. Uh, I don't even know what a betting agency is, here, but that's not uh, not my my life. So they had this kid, uh, Giddy, Oklahoma uh, City did, the Australian kid. I think he played on your Adelaide team. And what was he, what, what, like an alternate on the Olympic team? And the fun, yes. he's 19 years old, right? He, yeah, he just turned. Yeah, he just turned. <laughs> so we started the show in the spring of 2002. He was born in the fall of 2002. We're older than him. Our show is older than him, Joe. Uh, my, even my show is nearly older than him. <laughs> Did you look at him and see yourself 15, 20, 15, 16, 17 years ago? I think that that's the funny part and, and why Josh and I have, have had a really good relationship. And um, I obviously knew him when he was a bit younger and, and kind of coming through the ranks of those kids that you can obviously tell are going to be good. And, um, more recently, the last few years, having a, a pretty close relationship with him, and um, it, it really started. I, I still remember the day he he signed in the NBL. He decided not to go to college and, and signed the NBL, and um, he signed with Adelaide, my my hometown team, as a as a kid. And um, I just remember the exact kind of feeling and all these memories of, of when I did that. We, we He signed when he was 17 as well. I signed when I was 17 and he moved from Melbourne to Adelaide. Um, I went from Adelaide to Melbourne um, and just a lot of similarities and, and obviously I wasn't the prospect or anything that, that he is and, and was but um, reached out to him back then and just kind of said obviously I'm here to help we're going to be on a very similar path obviously yours is a lot more clear cut than what, what mine was in terms of the <laughs> NBA but yeah. um, just with the NBL and, and helping out and um, actually so they like it's it, you, you know, you, a lot of guys reach out to guys and try and help or, or are available to help and not many guys kind of take it the action of actually kind of reaching out, asking questions, and, and doing that, I had opened that kind of line of, of conversation up to him, and um, it almost went to the other end of like <laughs> not too many questions because I, I asked for it, but he was so eager for me to watch games and, and give him feedback and learn and, and ask me questions about what I do in certain situations, and um, it's really cool, obviously, now to, to see him get through the year in the NBL, and he, he played really well there. And then to, to be a, I think it was the sixth pick, six or seven, or whatever he was. Yeah, um, right. And, and then yeah, like he's like you said, he's just turned nineteen, and he's starting in his first game against me, which is which is pretty cool. And um, I'm glad we smacked him, but he's got a uh, he's got a hell of a future. He's a, a bright kid. He, he works hard and. I think the best play, his IQ is, is unreal and he, he plays the right way. So I think with those things, he'll, he'll go a long way. But um, yeah, it was cool to see him yesterday and, um, like I said, play, kind of play his first ever NBA game against him. 
So Quinn Snyder had a, uh, a good line after the opener, uh, acknowledging that he'd been asked more questions about uh, Jared Butler than he had about Rudy and Donovan <laughs> combined. Uh, but I think that just goes to the fact that the core of the team is back, and we think we all have a pretty good feel for how most of you guys play and how most of you play together. So it's the new guys. It's Whiteside, and and uh, it'll be Rudy Gay when he can play, and it'll be Butler. You know, what are these new guys going to provide? What, what can you tell us about Butler? Maybe not so much production but more about you know who he is what he's like that kind of stuff um he sits next to me in the locker he's annoying um <laughs> no, I, I think it's true of what quinn said and as you guys know when i mean you you guys know us very well and the way we play and the style obviously the style we're going to play is going to be very similar um that there'll be some differences obviously because there's things that we we've needed to work on as a team and, and individually and um, yeah, you, you add those pieces. I think they'll all they'll all help us at different points of the year. Um, Eric as well, Eric Pascal, and um, Jared's been good. I mean, he he obviously got a a pretty big opportunity um, in the preseason with with the majority of our guys kind of either resting or, or playing limited minutes. And um, yeah, just uh, I mean, I think for for his age. Um, the, the the clear cut thing is like the poise that he plays with. He doesn't get sped up. He plays at his own speed, um, which is is pretty cool to see in a, a younger kid. Um, off court, he's pretty quiet. He, he's kind of does his own thing. Um, I'm sure the other guys hang out with him. I don't hang out with any of them, so I don't know what they do outside of, <laughs> outside of practice. But um, yeah, good kid. Work, works hard, um, and obviously, I, I think on the on court he'll help us at times this year I think getting his first taste last night was probably a, a lot there's a lot going on and we're back to pretty much sold out and first ever NBA game so you know, it was a lot on his plate but I, I think he shows signs every time he's out there of, of how good he's going to be um, kind of short term in, in stints but obviously long term as well you guys are very much a veteran team with a few additions, and even most of those guys are veterans themselves. Do you think that there will be any pacing of the team going on as you negotiate this long schedule? Yeah, I mean, there's always like kind of ups and downs, I guess, throughout the thing, um, throughout the season. And um, I think it was shoot around I got asked yesterday or whatever it was, like even just the connection of Hassan and myself, um, obviously everybody else is out on the court that's that's new but um with that second unit m- me playing pick and roll with him and and obviously fave has been my big for six of my eight years or whatever it is so it's um it does take time obviously the the good thing is majority of our group is is back and we're, we're the same and, and obviously with rudy out at the moment we're it's kind of jared hassan and, and eric that are that we're trying to kind of get up to speed and I mean, as you guys know, the, the, the system, or more the wording, the the the, the words and the, the um, names of things and the concepts, of, once he's got those down, uh, all those guys have, have those down, it, it's very easy because it's, it's all the same things. They all, <laughs> one word can be in so many different plays or, or defenses or whatever, but over time it gets easier and easier, so... Um, they've been good so far. They've got the basics down, and, and obviously, as we get through this, as, as you guys know, um, Quinn will put more and more things in and, and, and make it probably a little bit more complicated. But you just kind of keep rolling with the, the punches, and we'll have 
we'll have some days where we we do mess up the offense or, or defense, and we'll we'll have days where we're we're on on par with it and, and really good. And obviously, we've got to limit the the badder days. But um, yeah, it's been it's been good so far, and, and getting those guys involved. And um, I mean, it's like us. What was it? Bubble and and post bubble, like even just this, the style of play of shooting more threes and playing quicker and. Um, getting those guys used to that like telling Eric to, to run to the corner and if he's open shoot it like there's no hesitation with our team so it, it does take time but I think um, we'll have more good days than bad and we've just got to limit those those bad days so I'm curious, you know, the NBA is very much what have you done for me lately and nobody can really look back on what they did a while ago, right? Everyone's got to be moving forward and all that. But international basketball is a little different. Do you still get up and uh, give yourself 30 seconds to look at the bronze medal every day and feel good about that? Because that was a goal you chased for a long time. I'm looking at it right now. It's still sitting in the same spot that it uh, had sat in when, when Miller told me to hang it next to her soccer trophy. So. <laughs> Um, no, I I was actually thinking I need to take it off the. It's literally hanging on the door handle of a of the <laughs> door right now, getting banged around every time the door. We'll put it on right now. Why don't you put it on? No, nah, it's too far away. I'm not standing up for you guys. <laughs> um, no, it is. It, it was something. It's a weird feeling. I guess I, I started with the national team in 2007 and um, was just listening to. Andrew Bogut's podcast about it. He had our our national team coach on there on his podcast, and 08 Beijing Olympics and th- those couple of tournaments after that. Um, not that the mindset wasn't we can't win some games, but I think meddling for us was was a, a re- like we would have had to play unbelievably, and maybe some teams have some some bad luck or, or whatever it was, and 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 changing that mindset. Um, over the kind of middle of, of those 12 years of, of me playing to like, no, we, we've got a team that can matter. We, we've got a legitimate chance. We've got a great roster. We, we just need to like put it all, like why there's a saying in Australia of like, like she'll be right. Like just give it, have a crack. Like it's, it's all good. Like we're, we're Australian. We're fighters. That's what we do. We, we play. It was like, I don't want to swear, but like f that. Like, <laughs> thank we, you. We're we're a really good basketball team. Like, why can't we win? Like, sure. change that mindset of like, we're not just happy to be here. We can actually go and win this game or this tournament. And um, it is uh, like I said, it's been twelve years, and um, I, I remember it was the end of the third quarter, and they started to come back a little bit, and I remember looking at Patty and, and talking to Patty throughout the game of like this just like this not that we said this isn't happening again, but like there was this mindset of like we would not let this happen again. Like there's no chance we've come fourth the last three tournaments. Um I think one of the benefits for us was they hadn't been in that situation before Slovenia. Obviously Luke is a hell of a player and, and they had a hell of a tournament and to even get into the tournament they, they had to play well and um we just felt like we weren't going to lose, and um, to, to to now again, like you said, sit here and look at it and um, talk about it. Like be able to see Josh Giddy last night, and 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 he talks about it. Like it, it's such a, a big thing. He wasn't even on the team. He was the last guy cut, or second to last guy cut, whatever it was. So, um, yeah, a, a lot of relief probably, um, but also on the flip side of the relief side of it. 
it, it's like I want to go back and I want to win another one and I want it to be gold or silver. Like um, it makes you more determined to, to do even more. So um, yeah, I'll actually. I might actually put it away today. Today might be the day I put it. We've got this really cool little case that came in, so I'll probably put it in that and um, stop it getting dented, banging on the door every time <laughs> Miller rips the door open. So you're back on the traditional calendar and the traditional amount of games as opposed to last year and the year before. Does that make any difference to you? Um, no. Should it? No. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. If, if you're going to treat your body differently, uh, you're going to play 10 more games in the regular season, uh, any of that stuff matter? Maybe uh, I assume no. it doesn't. I don't know. No, I think, I think, I mean, it's probably more normal than anything. Obviously, the the last two years have been, well, I don't even know what the word normal means yeah, anymore, really. but um, have been very different and, and, You've got. We've all had to adjust, whether it be the NBA players or, or you guys, or um, every day, whatever. Kids, our kids are adjusting every day to this. There's just so much still moving pieces in this whole thing, and um, 82 for us is obviously the regular, regular, regular season. That's what yeah. we used to. Um, so I think I think you just get back in the same flow, but I think. Um, with our team especially like you said being a bit older and, and more veterans and all that I, I'm sure and, and I have no doubt there'll be times that we'll, we'll probably rest um, certain games or certain times um, we haven't spoken about that but um, I think for us obviously winning games and, and finishing as high as we can but then you want to be going in the playoffs as fresh as possible so without thinking too far in front you want to um, we want to be, be thinking I mean even last night like pulling all the starters out with four or five minutes um, I think he was about to put Rudy and Mike back in and, and decided not to so um, even those decisions those extra couple minutes of, of rest can add up over 82 games so um, I mean we've got we've got a great team um, that, that'll decide all that stuff and I'll, I'll just do what I'm told you still on lockdown part. on the road and all that stuff? Um, I think it's opened up a bit more. Um, I think the vaccinated, unvaccinated makes a little bit of a difference. Um, but I think we're all vaccinated. To our, or, not that it, I mean, it's not going to change for me. The lockdown or not lockdown is pretty much the same life for me on the, on the road anyway. But um, obviously a bit more freedom with being able to go to restaurants and, and catch up with family or friends for guys that, that have them on the road. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll see... We'll kind of see how the there's obviously I said this yesterday in shoot around, but it's going to be inevitable at some point that there's going to be contact tracing or a positive case or, or something throughout this season um, and what that looks like. And I mean, my kids are at school. Uh, I'm not going to pull my kids out of school. They they need to be in there. So, we'll, so obviously, we've just got to deal with the punches as they come. But um, obviously, confident within our group that, that our guys are doing. The, the smartest and the best thing for, for us to be as close to safe and, and healthy as possible. 
We've had several coaches over the course of our show, probably four or five coaches locally who have coached here so long and done so many press conferences. Uh, we hear a question and we know the answer. I almost feel like I could just step in front of the microphone like, I'll handle that. Save your voice, coach. I know literally word for word what you're going to say. And I thought that listening to Quinn, because Quinn, after game one, got into, hey, we can't pass up shots. There's only 24 seconds on the clock. We can take, you know, if we don't take one when it comes, the odds are we're going to have a much worse shot later in the clock. And I've heard him say that dozens and dozens of times. And so I knew where he was going when he started in on that. And I wonder, at this point, and you're bringing in you know, new guys who are going to have to work in the rotation, how much could you handle practice and just say, guys, this is what Quinn wants? We've all, everybody who's been here knows this is what he wants. How much of that could you, could you or any of the other veterans literally run because he is consistent with the message over a long period of time? Yeah. I mean, I, I said it in, I think it was one of the training camp sessions or, or one of the practices more recently. Uh, I said to Alex Jensen, who's been here the whole time with me, um, I was like, man, I know exactly what he's... He stopped practice. I was like, I know what he's going to say, and I know exactly what he's talking about, and I've, like, heard this, like, the same speech of um, certain things, like you said, certain things he says or certain ways he thinks. Um, yeah, I feel like I've got a pretty good grasp on what he's going to say or what he's going to... what he's thinking to say. Um, I mean, even last night, we had a... I think they were at the freezer line, and JC was about to sub in and was asking me what play we're going to run. And I looked at coach and I was like, we both said at the same time, but we said exactly the same play. And I was like, that just shows like another sign of we've been together for too long. Well, not too long. I shouldn't say too long. We've been together for a long time. Um, And it was like instantly, like we both said exactly the same play. And he like high fived me and was like, "Yep, you got it." <laughs> um, it's obviously for a few of us we've been around him, as you guys have. But there's, there's a couple of coaches that have been here the whole time, and I think Rudy and I are the only two from that the first year of, of Quinn. But um, obviously Donovan and that have have been a, a good chunk as well. So um, yeah, it's funny. I've I've heard a lot of the same pre-season talks or, or the same. Uh, the same things about certain actions or, or certain ways we play and, and stuff like that. So I've got a, yeah, I mean, I, if he wasn't there for a day, I feel like I could coach our team and it would be exactly the same as they wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to tell the difference if my voice was the same as his. Well, it's good to have your voice back on the radio for another year, Joe. Thanks for joining us. Good luck in the coming week and uh, try not to ding up that bronze medal any more than absolutely necessary. No, I'm actually literally, as I hang up the phone, I'm going to go put it in the box. I've got the box sitting on the, our little desk upstairs. So it's just been sitting there waiting for the day that my lazy ass goes and actually puts it away. Um, but it was nice to look at it for one more time. It's actually really heavy, so might need some help carrying it up the stairs. <laughs> well, thanks, Joe. We'll talk to you again next week. Awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, there's Joe Ingles, the first of his weekly visits. He'll be with us all season long. When we come back, what is trending? All the headlines next. Your day has just begun. But for DJ and PK, they're just hitting their stride. It's time for all your headlines from the night in sports. As DJ and PK tell you what's trending. Are you ready? On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Hashtag Utah Jazz. 
think every game is an opportunity for us to keep finding our identity. I mean, obviously, we want to be a defensive team, but keep uh, working on the things that we know is going to make us a better team. And it's the one-on-one defense, you know, from one through five, the containment, you know, and the communication as a team to help each other out. You know, it's not about just leaving the guy on the island, but all the four guys got to talk to him and uh, make him know that he got to guard. And if he does get beat, because it's going to happen a lot, we got to have each other's back. Rudy Gobert on the Jazz, their defensive identity, working together. Game two tonight. What was that, like 2016, 2015, 2017, 2018, right? 2019? So we're just talking to Joe about <laughs> Rinse messages don't change. But I could give you a bunch of quotes uh, from a bunch of people, and you could identify the coach who set them. Because we've had these coaches who've had these long runs, and there's a way they want to play, and the players who play for them a long time know there's Sloanisms, Lavelle Edwards-isms, Rick Majerus-isms, and now Quinn Snyder and Kyle Whittingham. There's five well, off the top of my head. The good thing about that is these guys are willing to answer questions. So there's only so much you can say, particularly when you've been here and the same people are asking you this, essentially the same questions game after game, year after year. I mean, what... What penetrating question can you come up with? About Rudy and defense? And, and the <laughs> yeah. OKC game. You know, I assume that's after the game. Maybe it's uh, before a uh, shoot-around or something. I don't, but the answers are going to be the same. When you have that so-called jazz DNA, this is the way you're going to respond. Yep. And I get it. So And it doesn't change. No, it really doesn't. And, and, there, and as long as it's successful... Why do you want it to change in the first place? You well, don't. All those, all those coaches I listed all did a bunch of winning. Yeah, and that's good news. And that's why they, they have been successful and why I expect them, we all expect them to be successful tonight. But there's one reason why they're going to win tonight. Because the Kings just won game one and they can't shoot like that it again? It goes back to the law of numbers. There it is. I point you to Steph Curry, who sucked in game one and couldn't miss in game two. Well, the Kings shot it really well. Harrison Barnes, 8 of 11 from 3. He had 34, 36, whatever it was. So see see if he comes down to earth, has a 9-point performance. So you're saying he was out of this world? Sure. we could Because now that. he's coming back to earth. Coming back to earth. Like after, Armstrong or somebody. After achieving lunar orbit. Or Anderson. Who else? Who were some of those a- astronauts? Was Anderson one? I don't know. I don't know all the astronauts. You got me. Yeah. Buzz Aldrin. Buzz Aldrin. You know. Yeah. Yeah, that's a cool name. Buzz Aldrin. Tough guy. That. Yeah. My kind of guy. Not like you. Jazz and Kings, 7 o'clock with the pregame, 8 o'clock first tip here on the Zone Sports and Network. Hashtag NBA. Trey dribbling up high with it. Now he crosses over, drives the lane. Little floater by Trey is in and out, back in again. Gorgie Jag back to Trey. Long three, Trey, bang. They tried doubling him, it didn't work. Middleton down the floor to Wara. But Struess would not allow the easy breakaway. Here's Hero at the buzzer. That's how you start the 34th season of Miami Heat basketball. Wiggins stays inbounds, downstairs to Draymond. Draymond brings it up top to Curry. Faith left, fires a three. Got it! Curry with a bucket, now with 31. Draymond, one dribble, looks for Curry, can't get it to him. Turns, now bounce pass out to Curry, a deep three. Got it! Oh 
Davis, about a step and a half from midcourt, gives the Warriors a one-point lead with a minute 50 to go. Steph Curry putting on a clinic. 25 points in the first quarter. Made nine straight shots to open the game. Had it going. Finished with 46. Hit the two three-pointer or two uh, free throws. About five seconds left that provided the final margin. Beat the Clippers 115-113. I never worry about my next shot, he said. Why would you? You're Steph Curry. Or his next meal. Uh, his next mortgage payment. Uh, let's see. His next round of free golf? What the heck does he have to worry about? Very little. (laughs) And I always say little floater. I want to have somebody, and I say from the logo, I want somebody to explain their range with the floater from three. Then you know you've got outstanding range. If you're shooting the floater from three, it's always the little floater because this is a closer range shot. I want Curry now to be, you want out of this galaxy, shooting Floaters from three. Most half-court shots are floaters, aren't they? Guys don't go straight up and yeah, down. No one is shooting half-court shots. Half-court floater. But that, I mean, at the quarter. But right, but that is a toss as opposed to a shot. You, know, you put it up there with very little intention of going in. I want Curry. His range is so spectacular. He might as well be shooting floaters. Because when he's open and he's got it going on, there's literally been no one better. Ever. Nope. He's ever been born. Changed the way the game is played, and other people are starting to follow. Mm, I don't know that he changed it. Can you say that? Yes. I don't know that I can. He changed the way the game is played. I don't know that I could put it on him. To say individually, like Will Chamberlain, didn't he change the lane or something? Didn't they widen it because of him? It's called the key. It used to look like a key. It used to be really narrow. If you see grainy old video from 1950. Why does it have to be grainy old video? Why can't it just be old video? Why is old video? All old video is grainy? Yes. Ed Grainy video? Ed Grainy, the Vegas columnist (laughs) from San Diego State. Been on our show many times. Now it's a morning show. So he can't be on our show. Uh, that's disappointing. Yeah. Last and yet, look at that. He follows in your footsteps. <laughs> Last time I reached out to him. Sorry, Jake. I do a morning show. Yeah, he does. Now. He does. He does a morning show. Yeah. Has he really? I have to ponder that. Did he, if we look at it, you know, the evolution of the game, is it largely pinned back to Steph Curry? It's an interesting question. I'm not sure that's the answer. Individually. Part of it, no question. Significant. A big part of it. Okay. I mean, I can't say that nobody else was shooting the three. But shooting the three in that volume, making that percentage, and mixing in the deep threes at the same time. Now, Damian Lillard wasn't far behind him. How about Jimmer? (laughs) Jimmer! At the college level. And then... uh, I can probably come up with a couple other three-point shooters who shot it pretty well. But the Warriors, to do what they did and win the title, win the 73 game, I mean, they took it to a new level. You can win big time, and you can do the ultimate. The other games last night, the Mavericks, not competitive, PK. They got worked by Atlanta. 113-87. Worked. 26-point loss. And the Heat beat the Bucks. The Bucks all sorts of fired up for that first game with the Nets, but man, Miami got them. 
and oh. got him good. Overrated. One thirty-seven to ninety-five, a forty-two point blowout for Miami. Boston Celtics games have been pulled off of uh, TV streaming services in China after center Ennis Cantor tweeted a two-minute video of himself expressing support for Tibet and wore shoes with the phrase "Free Tibet" on them during well, Wednesday I look forward to Popovich next. and Kerr going off on that. 76ers guard Ben Simmons left the team's practice facility on Thursday without working out. He's expected to meet with club leadership this morning to again discuss his playing status. Brother. Right? Daily updates. DJ and PK. Hashtag NFL. Dearness Johnson in the backfield from the four. Why not? Give it to Johnson. He's off a rub hit. He going to the goal line. Touchdown! How about that? 75 yards. Lickety split. Keenum takes the snap. He's going to throw. He's throwing for Stanton. Touchdown! Left corner of the end zone. Keenum's got it, and he's going to give the ball, and here comes Dearness Johnson. He's to the 15. He's going to get there. He got to the 12. First down at the 12-yard line. Seconds left. Denver can't stop the clock. Cleveland Browns win a battle of three and three teams. They beat the Broncos 17-14. Neither team could throw the ball very well. Denver couldn't run it at all. But Dearness Johnson had 22 carries for 146 yards and a touchdown. And that's the difference in the game. Cleveland improves to four and three with Case Keenum at the controls and Baker Mayfield. Has the labrum issue, but now there's some kind of fracture there, too. He's still being able, still hoping to be able to play in the next game on Halloween, but since the fracture has to heal. That seems pretty quick. It do. Wouldn't, wouldn't expect to see him. But Case Keenum threw for 199 yards, didn't throw a pick, and it was good enough to beat Denver. Big games this weekend. Who you fired up for? Bengals Ravens. That's about it. AFC North. That's five and one versus four and two. I mean, I watch the Raiders because I view them as somewhat local. Uh, a little bit of a storyline quarterbacks with Detroit and the Rams. But that doesn't uh, Chicago look like Tampa Bay, game. I guess. That just screams Tom Brady will be efficient, but not have huge stats and win that game. I uh, can't. KC Tennessee. KC's 3-3. Three and three. Can they beat somebody who's good, get over 500, get into the uh, – stay in the division race, get into the wild card race? Well, Tennessee has high aspirations themselves. They ought to win that division. They're 4-2. and two. Have a horrible loss to the Jets in there, but otherwise have looked pretty good. How far can they ride Derrick Henry? How much damage can he do? And then, of course, the undefeated team. You're always going to watch them to see if they can continue to win. But they're playing Houston at home, so they ought to. <laughs> 6-0 and versus 1-5. and Yeah. That with the Rams-Lions, the two mismatches of the week. So you would think the top teams in the NFC West would keep going. The Sunday night game is the Colts and the 49ers. A couple of teams with losing records right there. Normally that's a marquee game. But this week, it's missing a little bit of juice this week. DJ and PK. Hashtag Utah State. Utah State and Colorado State, first place in the Mountain Division on the line tonight. Scotty G will have the call. Coverage starts at 6.30 on 12.80 The Zone. The Jazz will be on 97.5 The Zone. CBS Sports Network, 7.30 with a kickoff. Jazz will spend KSL, won't they? 
I think they will be. You're right. Go Cougars. <laughs> can't help yourself. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> How much faith you got in the Rams? If they win this, it's a big W for them. They'd be up two games on Utah State to really set up CSU and Air Force. And Air Force is playing San Diego State, so the Rams, Rams, by the time we get back here on Monday, could be two games clear of everyone in the division because Boise State's already got two losses. Exactly. So, I mean, that that is a huge It's a huge weekend for the Mountain that. Division. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't know. Utah State... It's not like they're a box of chocolates, but uh, they They get down by 10, and then can they rally? Yeah. So they're very capable of winning the game, will they? I I just can't say. CSU does have a couple wins on the road this year. Uh, They lost at Iowa, but they went to Toledo and won, and then they went to New Mexico and won last week. So, Scotty G with the call tonight. Yeah, and I think you have to allow for teams to get better, too. We didn't think much of them when they were 1-3. and three. They were ignorable. Right. Lost to South Dakota State to open the season. That yeah. was not good. And got beat pretty solid. That was a 42-23 game. Yeah, I remember seeing the score. Wow, they're playing a conference game already? Because it is SDSU. <laughs> SDSU. Yeah. 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 It's so <laughs> confusing. I had to double check that. DJ and PK. Hashtag BYU. A really, really good player. Just looking at his athleticism, and he has a, uh, a lot of confidence on the field, and the, and the players play off of that. You look at when they when they win, it's when he's doing well. But he's so athletic, and he can run. That's something that I think adds to his game. He's he's always a threat to extend the play. For for a young guy, he has great poise, and for Delore, he's he's got a great presence, man, and and he, he can take over a game. That's Kalani Sataki on Washington State quarterback Jaden Delora. He can take over a game. I agree with everything you just said there. Washington State four and three, BYU five and two. The Cougars back into Pac-12 play, trying to prove to four and zero in the Conference of Champions. He's like a Jordan Clarkson to me. He gets hot. Look out! He can put it up in a hurry if he's got the mojo and it's he's feeling it. So you want to disrupt him as much as you possibly can because in basketball terms, he, he can put 50 on you. Their two best offensive games have been the last two games, beating Oregon State 31-24 and Stanford 34-31. They did yeah. have a 40-point game against Portland State, but I'm going to throw that one out, Big Sky School. But you look at their other games and the offense, but now new play caller, A-Rod didn't want to hear any of that when he said, he brought up last season, and they were missing coaches for two games and went up, and one of them blew out Boise State anyway, so he wasn't hearing any of that Well, story he line. shouldn't be. That's none of his concern. He's got a coach. He's got to come up with a game plan to get this ball in the end zone. All right, that game kicks off 1.30 on FS1. The Cougar pregame show starts at 12.30 tomorrow. JCW's in Provo, and then the game at 1.30. Hashtag Utah. 
Oregon State, good football team, really good football team, running the heck out of the football, leading the Pac-12 by a considerable margin, running the football. Two good backs that are very productive. Starts with our offensive line. Their offensive line is playing exceptional football. That's uh, something that we've got to try to uh, take care of this week is, is slow them down a little bit in the run game. Quarterback's playing well. They're leading the conference in scoring as well as rushing, like I mentioned, as well as third down conversions, which when you run the football that well, it lends itself to a lot of third and shorts, which uh, they're taking advantage of. So big challenge. It's on the road. Tough place to play up there in uh, Corvallis. We'll uh, hopefully have a good week of practice and be ready to go. Strength against strength. 240 yards per game rushing for Oregon State, number one in the Pac-12. And they didn't run the ball at all in the opener against Portland, or excuse me, against Purdue. In the opener against Purdue, they ran for less than 100 yards. So since that game, they've actually been averaging 270 yards a game rushing, which is getting into service academy wishbone territory production there. That's a huge number. But Kyle Williams' defense, another defense that's good against the run, just a little over three yards per carry, number one in the conference. So 3.2 yards per carry versus 240 yards per game. Strength on strength. Who wins? I, I don't know specifically that this is Utah's strength yet because I don't think they've played a team that is looking to run the ball as much as what they have these next two games. I think he would go to ASU as the one because they're fourth in the conference in rushing. But to your point, the top three teams are still all ahead of them on the schedule. UCLA is in the next game, and then Oregon next month. Those are the top three teams running the ball. Right. Oregon, Oregon State, UCLA, all with winning records. It's an interesting subplot, and it's a significant subplot in the game for sure. Ute pregame show starts at 4.30 tomorrow afternoon. And then 5.30, the kickoff Pac-12 network for a couple of 4-2 and two teams. South leader in Utah and the North co-leader, Oregon State's tied with Oregon at 2-1 and one in Pac-12 play. DJ and PK. Hashtag college football. Well, we were just talking about it with the NFL. You don't have the big dogs really going head-to-head much. And for the first time in like a decade, we got a weekend here with no ranked teams meeting each other. Game day decided to pick up the Oregon-UCLA game, head out to UCLA and cover that one. UCLA's good. Now they get to sleep in a little bit more. That's all they did there. That's a positive. I mean, you got Clemson and Pittsburgh. Clemson has been ranked many, many times. Pittsburgh is currently ranked, so that's something that they're interested in that. Oklahoma and Kansas. (laughs) (laughs) That's going to get out of hand. Oklahoma State, Iowa State should be a pretty good game. USC has been better on the road than they have been at home, so will they give Notre Dame a good game at South Bend? Yeah, maybe so. That just doesn't have the luster this year. It's a big-time traditional rivalry, obviously. 5.30 on NBC. That's kicking off the same time as the Utah game and that San Diego State Air Force game we were talking about, 5 o'clock on the CBS Sports Network. So... You've got options during commercial breaks. It's the, the biggest weekend. intersectional rivalry we have in college football. That it is. But Notre Dame might roll them, <laughs> and then you're off to another game. Well, you got the youths going, so you'll be locked down on that one. DJ and PK. Hashtag Major League Baseball. Reed delivers. And that one is hammered to left. And it's on its way, and it is gone, a home run! There's a fly ball to center field, racing on back is Duvall, and it is gone! 
This night is tailor-made. The 2-2, Taylor with a fly ball to deep left center field. Chris Taylor has hit his third home run of the night and becomes the 11th different player in baseball history with three home runs in a postseason game. Five homers for the Dodgers, three of them off the bat of Chris Taylor, and the Dodgers overwhelmed the Braves 11-2. He had a chance to get the fourth homer, made the last out in the eighth inning, struck out. I know. Sucks. Could have been baseball history. Well, what's crazy about that is that Pollock hits two. And, and he's such a footnote. And Justin Turner, if he's not hurt, one of those guys isn't starting. You don't think they're bench, <laughs> benching Turner in Game 5? No. Well, you were saying someone's got to go uh, full Rosario here and step up, and those two guys did. Yeah, but one of them, maybe probably Taylor. Pollock's more of the left fielder, but Taylor has played out there and has played uh, all of the outfield positions. So my guess is that Turner would have been in the lineup in an elimination game because he's a horse you've ridden for a long time. And so one of those guys wasn't going to play, but the injury puts them both in there, and they combine for five home runs. It's incredible. So that's now three games to two. Braves with the advantage yeah, going back you, to Atlanta. They got, got today Scherzer off. going yeah. tomorrow. Game six, Boston and Houston in Texas. Astros up three games to two, six o'clock on FS1. And Houston punch their ticket to the World Series. You want a Houston-Atlanta World Series, or does that just feel incredibly blah in this uh, part of the doesn't, country? It doesn't matter to me. I don't care. Whoever earns the right to be in there, I find it somewhat ironic that the MLB refused to have the All-Star Game in Atlanta and now maybe have the World, World Series, Series, which yeah. is way bigger of a show than the All-Star Game. DJ PK. Hashtag RSL. RSL in Chicago to kick off the final stretch here of the season. Five games in 16 days. Chicago's already been eliminated from the playoff race, but playing for jobs, the spoiler, all that, they played pretty well in their last five games. Couple wins, couple ties, one loss. And they would hurt RSL big time. RSL probably needs, well, they certainly need six points, but they probably need nine or ten to get to the playoffs. So this is the one game they'll be rusted, or rusted. They'll be rested, have their first choice starting 11. Everything else will be a grind from here on out. Mm. They're up for the grind, though. These guys are grinders. They better be. That's what it's going to take here. They've been grinders for a long, long time. Three of the teams in the playoff race played midweek, all one. So RSL dropped from fifth to eighth without doing anything. Guy just screams grinder. Actually, Beltran. I mean, come on. He's the assistant general manager, but he's a grinder. (laughs) You don't have to be a ball player to be a grinder. That's true. Look at you. You're a grinder. Finley? These guys are grinders, man. (laughs) All the the ex-players you can think of right now. (laughs) All right, what is trending? Brought to you by Shamrock Plumbing. There's no job too big or too small. Get the personal touch with Shamrock Plumbing. Call them at 801-295-1690. That's Shamrock Plumbing. All right, coming up this morning, we got football for you. Angie Machado. Covering Oregon State for 24-7 Sports, BeaverBlitz.com. We'll join us at 8.30. Alex Brink, Washington State Radio Football Analyst, 9-10. Welcome, Alex, back to the Do show. Do you think she's any relation to Manny? 
You can ask Angie that. David Locke, 930. Talk about Kings and the Jazz. You think he's any relation to Drew? No. Okay. No. But we can ask him. (laughs) Stay with us. Question of the day is coming up next right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. The new zone lineup is here with the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10, followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then the zone welcomes unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 7, live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. Hot Texas Toast is brought to you by Utah Facial Plastics. Losing your hair, it's 2021, and you don't have to. UFP Hair Restoration offers a range of cutting-edge therapies to restore thick hair permanently. Just text HAIR to 801-960-3137 for 15% off any hair loss treatment. Or visit www.utahairmd.com. Question of the morning. We know the Cougars will win at Pullman, but how about the Utes and the Aggies? Playing the nickname game, PK. Very clever. Well, I mean, you know, that's what I'd do. Who you got? Make the picks. How's this going to play out? For BYU, a chance to end the losing streak, get to 6-2. and two. For the Utes, you stay in first place in the Pac-12 South. For the Aggies, you take over first place in the Mountain Division of the Mountain West Conference. So high stakes for everybody, but who's actually getting it done? Because there's no gimmies this week. None. Zero. Nada. (laughs) Uh, Travis says, I didn't know the Cougs and Aggies playing Pullman. If that's the case, I give them low odds. That's guys trying to be funny and good things their wives think they're funny. Meanwhile, go be an accountant. I didn't know Houston was playing Washington State. Wait. Are there going to be two Cougars in the Big 12 too? Yes, there will. It's a team in every time zone with the nickname Cougars. They're everywhere. Dave says his Cougar fan isn't counting any chickens yet. Got a BYU fan who's a little stressed about this game. Sure, fine. But here's a chance to go 4-0. You're going to have a better conference record than Utah. Well, for a couple hours, I mean, the Utes could go four and zero tomorrow night. Well, of course they, they could lose, and then they would just have right, the that's better what I'm one. Saying. Yeah, they could. Don't mean they will. You got more confidence in one of those three teams than the others. All of the matchups, there's issues. There's trouble everywhere. That's I'd what say you probably get. Utah. Really, but that's bias because they have a better program than Oregon State. That doesn't mean in the actual 60 minutes of competition that it shows that way. But you also, because I remember you saying this, you think the Oregon State program is trending up. So yes, the program has struggled, but at some point, I don't know, at one point Kyle had back-to-back five and seven seasons in the Pac-12, and now the program's in a better place. Yeah. 
You know, one thing that really jumps out at me is uh, Kyle's talking about how they uh, Oregon State converts third down, blah, 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 and they do. But at the same time, they suck on the other side. They allow teams to con- convert almost 50% of their third downs. And so Utah... Utah's offense is under Kyle is never going to be you know some crazy offense throwing the ball blah 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 we all know that we've documented it a million times but they can have a level of efficiency and rising can get first downs with his feet you know I wrote this week on our website and uh, KSL and we'll move it over to KSL Sports here soon um, that if rising had been the quarterback from the start. I believe the Utes at worst are five and one, possibly even six and zero. Oh. They got a lot of feedback. Well, the offensive line sucks. So Brewer, blah blah blah. Okay, Cam Rising played behind the same offensive line that Brewer played behind in San Diego State's games, and there was a dramatic difference in quarterbacking. So I get early on the offensive line sucked, but at the same time, it was the same offensive line. In the second half of that ball game as the first half. And it was clear that there was a significant difference. So with that in mind, this guy has the ability to move better and escape stuff and do things that aren't drawn up. And against an Oregon State team that's allowing half of the third down conversions to be converted into first downs, to me, that spells a lot of trouble. And for Utah, that spells a lot of success. I mean, this is a team now is going to go into this game having scored on its last four possessions, touchdowns. Confidence has never been higher. Right. Every time they got the ball in the second half against the Devils, and Devils had some injuries in the second secondary and, and some other places, so their defense wasn't what it was supposed to be on paper. But who cares about that? It doesn't matter. Utah's not concerned about your injuries. They're concerned about their own. And even theirs don't matter. The game is still going to play. So, going to be played. So, this offense is coming in with all sorts of confidence right now. They're four, four for four. My, my personalized license plates. Three fours. Four for four. And touchdowns. So, I look at that and I look at the history of Oregon State's defense Unless Oregon State has a phenomenal running game, I think the Utes win and win comfortably. That is how they've been winning, with a phenomenal running game. When they did not run it well, they got beat. And Purdue got them. But since then, averaging 270 yards per game rushing, and they're 4-1. and one. Remember, You're, they you're right about that. And for people who don't know, the 50%, that is a horrific number on third down. I mean, that's not average. That's not below average. That is very bad. That sucks. It does. 124th out of 130 teams. You're hanging out with Kansas and UMass in that neighborhood. I mean, your defense can't suck. It's not good. It just can't. Not I'm, good at all. I'm like Joe Biden. Their defense isn't good, guys. I mean, come on. I got figure out ways to get off the field. We can't gonna, have that. I'm going to boost your mic. No. <laughs> if our leader does it, the leader of the free world, why can't I do it? I'm telling you, people.
All right, so you got the most confidence in the youths. Who you got the most doubt in? You. Oh, why you got to make this personal? <laughs> I'm not playing. I would probably go with BYU, but this is an unprecedented coaching situation for Washington State. Washington State's football team is hot. There's no doubt about it. Delora healthy equals hot. But I have never seen this situation. We rarely see coaches get axed during the season. It used to be it was unheard of. I remember Roger Reed got fired. It was like Majerus just went nuts. Hated the guy. But then when he got fired, in fact, somebody, at, multiple people at Utah, you say, man, he hates this guy. Now he got fired during the season, and he's his best buddy, inviting him to games and taking him out and all this stuff. Uh, so it was used to be if you got – that's what the pros did. Colleges didn't fire guys during the season. But now they do. And you just look at the Trojans as an example just a few weeks ago. And they're laying eggs left and right. Right? Since they fired Helton after the blowout loss to Stanford, they've been blown out twice. And that was just one guy being removed. Here, you got literally half the staff being removed. Under obviously unprecedented, and I think we'd agree to one level or another, controversial circumstances. Even if you're for the vaccine, it's still controversial to remove a half and staff of a football team during the season, whatever the reason is. So when I say controversial, I'm not making a political statement about the vaccine whatsoever. Go to other places if you want politics. I try not to get into it. I have a shot here and there because I'm disgusted with the whole thing. But how is that going to play out? So because of that situation, to answer your question, I've got to go Aggies. Where if I think if it was the regular coaching staff for Oregon or Washington State, I would go BYU. But by process of elimination, I'm going to go Aggies as the most concerned It's interesting the way you phrased it with Delora because with him, they're hot. They lost their opening to Utah State, and they lost the Ute game when he didn't play. Right. So they've won four of the last five when he plays, just as Oregon State has won four of their last five games. Mm-hmm. And CSU, or, yeah, CSU has, lost, has won three of their last four. So nobody's got a losing record, and everybody's coming in with momentum. Of the six teams, I guess the one to go with the most doubt is BYU because they are the one who's not coming in with any momentum. Haven't looked good. The blueprint to beat them has been on full display. I don't know that Utah State's coming in with big momentum. Because they escaped against UNLV. But it's not like they're coming in from a negative either. They're just coming in. (laughs) They're just there. Right. But a bye week. well, you win. A bye week. And a uh, late rally to win at Vegas. That's what they're coming off of. That doesn't scream momentum to me. Nor does it, but it doesn't scream like a team is in chaos and in all sorts of trouble either. I mean, they're they're just coming in, and if they play well, they've got an opportunity to win. But it's not like they've been surging. They can be surging here this week, next week, and so on. The opportunity for them to be in that position is right there in front of them, and I see no reason why they don't do it. Because I believe Bonner is pretty doggone good. 
and he's developed a relationship and a chemistry with his receivers. Get the ball to that little dude over there. Yeah, he's got a really good receiver to work yeah. with. And a couple the of the, fine. A couple the, group's of the other fine. guys are good. Right, the group is fine. Yeah, But Tompkins is a big-time star. Right. He's made so many big plays. Right, so I think they're potent. Just finish drives, you know, which they didn't do against Boise. And I think they're okay. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 the zone. A little stressed out? Looking to relax a little bit? I've got medical proof now. What I do is for the benefit of my health. So you all need to get off my back. We'll get to that next. Stay with us. It's game week for the Cougars. And the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. It ain't over till it's over. BYU hits the road to Pac-12 country as Kalani Sataki and the Cougars square off against Washington State in Pullman. Catch the Cougar pregame show Saturday at 1230 with the postgame show immediately following the game. From Monday morning to the postgame press conference, nobody brings you better coverage of Cougar football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Purchase a Ford Fan Zone all-you-can-eat ticket to an upcoming jazz game and receive unlimited hot dogs, soda, popcorn, nachos, and ice cream, starting as low as $30 per ticket. Visit utahjazz.com or call 325-2999 to buy your Ford Fan Zone all-you-can-eat tickets now. You have medical proof. You are so happy when you saw this. Yeah, it's a fact, man. You can't argue science. We always hear, follow science, follow science, follow science. I'm freaking following the science. Right to the first T. (laughs) Follow the science. I feel like Tony F. Follow the science. And that's not Finau, although it could be. Actually thought that's where you were going. No, your guy, Fauci. Figured that out once you ruled, science. Once you ruled out Tony Fino. Well, I didn't rule I did not rule out Tony Fino. A UK study says playing golf regularly can help reduce anxiety, improve confidence, and right. help boost self-esteem. All of which contribute to improved mental well-being. Looking at it right now. Dr. Roger Hawks. H-A-W-K-E-S, oversaw that golf and health project. He's a former chief medical officer of the European Tour. And these findings that we just played a prominent role in government officials prioritizing the opening of golf courses. We're trying to help you people. (laughs) (laughs) Matt says golf tends to drop my vocabulary down to four-letter words. There can be some frustration associated with a few hours on a golf course. There can be some frustration f- focused uh, associated with 40 years of marriage. That doesn't mean you don't, you don't do it. Pull that ball right into the lake. Yeah, but you're talking about being outside yes. and, and walking to it. Even if you use your car, you still have to walk, right? Unless you got one of those blue flags and you have some physical disability, you don't pull right up uh, next to the green. You know, most of the times now we're back to sharing carts, so you got to get out and, you know, unless you guys are right next to each other, you move around a little bit and you're getting fresh air in most of the time. I, I think when, when I was a kid, I think that's why I loved baseball. 
because it meant I could be outside. And I wanted to be outside playing sports. It's all I ever really cared about. That's how I learned to read. I say, like, I, the first book I ever read uh, was the, the bio on Willie Mays. And it stuck with me all these years, you know? And Willie was long since past his prime by the time I came along. And I, got, I started playing golf at like 14. And obviously you have to play golf outside. And it's, it's where I wanted to be. I think, in, and I wasn't of the video game age, but I'm thinking even if I was, I wouldn't have been interested. Now, certainly my parents wouldn't have had the finances to have that anyway. We didn't have much growing up as a son of a janitor. Uh, but I wanted to be outside. And that's one of the beauties of golf. A, a, go, a well-maintained golf course is actually gorgeous. I've been, I, I turned on the Golf Channel the other day, and they had some tournament in Arkansas. And there was this big lake behind it and just beautiful. And I said to my wife, I said, this certainly is not Jonesboro. (laughs) (laughs) Why didn't we go there? I made like 100 trips to Arkansas (laughs) when my wife's grandmother was alive. And I never saw that. But it looked absolutely gorgeous. And that thing we saw over the summer with Aaron Rodgers and who were the other guys? Playing was it up in Montana? It was. It was in Big Sky Country. Oh my gosh! Did that look unbelievable? Spectacular. Yeah. Was it Brady? Was it Tom? I know uh, Tom was involved in some of the other ones. I don't. I don't actually remember. DeChambeau and Phil were in there. Yes. Uh, and it was just oh man, it was incredible. It was Rogers and Brady. And then in uh, in January they're going to play, and I'm going to go there one of these times. The Kapalua thing. Now, I've been to Kapalua multiple times because I've covered them. But Maui. you haven't been there in January for the tournament. Right, I have not. And a good friend of mine here in town has gone, and he said he was standing there. And there's, it's so – I go to the Phoenix Open, and I've been to the L.A. Open, and I've done some Then reporting. you can go to the most crowded tournament yeah, yeah. on the PJ Tour, <laughs> and you can go to the least crowded. And he said he was standing off to the side – Behind the ropes, and McElroy finishes the hole, walking by him, and McElroy initiated Bones. Don't see that on tour all right. the time. McElroy's but there's singing. so few people. Right. And it was funny. He wanted to follow DJ, Dustin Johnson, and I'm texting him sitting in my basement here in Sandy, and I'm saying, oh, he's on the 14th. Go down this way and cut across, and I'm giving him directions. <laughs> on how to, how to meet up. Yeah, right. Because, you know, you're right there. You can't see the whole course. Well, on TV, you can see it, and they're, shooting, they're cutting back and forth. So I'm going to go to that thing one of these years for sure. But, yeah, get out and play golf, man. But do not play it slow. Don't get in the way. My college roommate called it hurry up golf. Don't worry so much about honors and who's closer to the hole. You're ready to putt? And the other person's on the edge of the green walking over? Just go ahead and putt. Absolutely. Move it along. Most good golfers don't care how you play, but they care how fast you play. I was down uh, last weekend. was fall break, and we were at a golf course in St. George. Hour, 20 minutes, three holes. Ooh. Starter are the Marshall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. It was, was L.A., which sucked there. I've, I've documented that a million times. And so we're on the fourth tee, and after the fourth tee, you either turn left to go to the fifth hole or you could turn right to go back. 
And the, Marshall comes up. Uh, I think it eases up. I said, it's too late. I said, when we get to, after this we'll par three, I'm not turning left. I'm turning right. <laughs> and I'm going back. This is ridiculous. And uh, my wife went in. I always send her because she has much better luck. They don't give you got her a little crap. refund? They, got a little rain check? Got a rain check. And so uh, we did later in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Got a rain check for a full 18 anytime. Nice. And you'd gone out on the twilight rates? Yes. Sweet. Yes. So we'll go down there one of these times during the week. I'll pretend that I'm sick, but I won't tell anybody. I'll just call in sick, and we'll go down there. Trained negotiator your wife is. Knows how to make it work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was down there a few weeks ago, and I hooked up with Britton Johnson. Mm -hmm. He lives down there, and I've hooked up with him several times. And I go in there, and it was 89 bucks for 18. Mm -hmm. Well, we were only playing nine, and they were going out to lunch. Well... The next day, me and the old lady go in there, 18, combined, combined, for both of us, $80. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Mark says, uh, this report reminds me of the episode of Everybody Loves Raymond, where Ray has a panic attack. The doctor tells him play more golf to reduce the tension in his life. I never thought this would become a sound, logical, yeah. medical conclusion. He thought it was just a, no. just a sitcom plot line. Well, and Ray Romano is a golfer. He plays in that uh, um, uh, Tahoe thing. Mm-hmm. My sister on her uh, refrigerator has got a picture of her and Ray Romano. Uh, and at Universal, where they filmed the show, if you've ever been to Universal, just beyond it, they've got a golf course right there. So he's a hardcore golfer. And plus, he was on the Golf Channel. Uh, they did a thing on how to uh, get better. And one of the people that was they were helping was Ray Romano. Angie Machado, owner of BeaverBlitz.com, covers Oregon State for 24-7 sports, is going to talk Oregon State-Utah with us at 8.30. Alex Brink, Washington State radio football analyst at 9.10. And David Locke, radio voice of the Jazz at 9.30. Stay with us. Okay, it's 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. A reminder, Raiders games right here on The Zone every weekend. Raiders 4-2 and two right now, and this week's Raider game against the Philadelphia Eagles is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with the silver and black. Learn more at AmericaFirst.com slash Raiders. All right, we got polls up for the college football games this weekend. Who is going to win? Who's going to get the W? And who's taking the L? These fan bases are very, very upbeat. 72% of the people think BYU is going to win. 73% think Utah is going to win. 87% think Utah State will win. 87? Good for them, man. Two of the three on the road. Two of the three against teams with winning records. The other, CSU, is right at 3-3. Three and three. All of these opponents are coming in winning either three out of the last four, in the case of CSU, four out of five for Oregon State, 
Washington State, four out of five when they have their starting quarterback, who they will have. Now, a huge question mark for Washington State because they've lost their head coach and half their assistants. Yeah, that's why I can't really acknowledge Utah being in first place because they got a break. Their quarterback wasn't there. I mean, they lose that game if Delore's there. Come on. <laughs> that's not what you just wrote. You just wrote they'd be 5-1 and one or 6-0 and oh if they'd started rising. You totally blew past the Delore well, they stuff. They didn't start rising until that game. That's what I'm saying. And they would have lost that game. If Delora was there and rising would be two and one and wouldn't be the same level of wouldn't be the same storyline and same level of high. I agree. That's what you think, huh? That's what you just said. That's what you're implying. That's what you just said. You just right. said it. Trying to summarize what you're thinking you're, implying because you you're just, dodging No, it. you said it. No, okay, fine. You just said it. The words came out of your mouth. I heard it with my ease. Oh, you're going Jersey now, huh? <laughs> just stop pronouncing. I mean, ours. come on. Rose Bowl, man. How funky would that be? You lose to BYU and you go to the Rose Bowl. Seems like a good trade. But I'm not as invested in the rivalry as people around here. But I grew up in Southern California watching the Rose Bowl thinking it was the greatest thing ever. Because my dad watched the Rose Bowl and thought it was the greatest thing ever. I've been there. (laughs) Tell us about it. I've been there. Again. It was the greatest moment ever. The granddaddy. Just going there, I dropped to my knees and kissed <laughs> the soil. That would have been awesome. <laughs> Were you on the golf course parking your car? No. Or somebody's front yard parking the car. No, I actually had media, a media pass. Ooh, nice. Nicely done. I did park on the course when I was down there two, two yeah, years Brooks, ago. Yeah, Brookside, they've got the, the 218s there. Now, I had played that course a number of times, so I'd been in the area uh, when the game, when there was no, it's not game day, obviously. I mean, Watch the guy try and park on the green, and they were not having yeah, that. Yeah, they got a par three right there uh, <laughs> that, that uh, is literally right next to it. I mean, the whole course is right next to it, but that's as close as you can get. You can hit a nine iron into the, over the stadium if you wanted. I'm sure Dinglings have tried that. Um but I actually, I got a media pass, so I parked in the media parking. And, it, and I, I got to admit, man, it was way, way cool. Now, I was barely into my media career, so I wasn't as hard and cynical and jaded yeah, as I am now. But still, it was my school, my team. And at that time, I believe it was the greatest college football game. You know, it's been watered down to an extent, but if the Utes go this year, I'm not watering it down whatsoever. So don't mistake that. It would be a phenomenal accomplishment. Absolutely. And then you, you know, you talk about golf playing the four majors. You're getting the four original majors, and you would have had three of them in college football with Fiesta. I guess Fiesta isn't an original one, but nevertheless, you would have Sugar Fiesta and Rose. And that would be super, super cool. And it's way cooler than your uh, regular season games. And I know a lot of you fans, I've, I've seen you there. I've taken pictures with you there. I've talked to you, BYU and Utah. But it wouldn't be the same. And if they get this opportunity to go, and I can speak to that as a fan. You didn't grow up with a rival. I did with the Cats. And the year the Dun- Sun Devils went, the first time they've won, and the only time they won, they actually lost to Arizona that year. And you didn't care. Now the you, it, well, I I don't remember what I cared or didn't care because it was so long ago. But I 
barely, I don't remember anything about that game. But I could tell you standing in the Rose Bowl and watching your team and they have your name, your school's name in the end zone. And it's 2.30 in the afternoon on January 1st. And God always blesses that day with a gorgeous weather day. And you just feel just a surge of pride as your team is running out the tunnel. So if you used to get that, it would be somewhat ironic, but it would be a footnote. Maybe it's a bigger of, of a footnote because it was the streak. I don't recall at the time if the Cats or Devils had a streak against each other in the 1986 season. Now, interestingly, in that season, the, uh, if I remember correctly, the Devils beat Cal like in the second week of November to clinch it. So they had games. The, the Arizona game actually didn't mean anything in terms of the conference race. It had already been clinched. Now, certainly, BYU game means nothing in the conference race because it's a non-conference game, no less. So if I'm a Ute fan, you were going to lose to those Cougars at some point. It just wasn't going to continue forever. It just the, the dumb luck would have let them win. Not saying that that's how they won, but at some point they were going to win, right? And so if you can get a Rose Bowl out of it, yeah, take that trade every time, I would think. And then you can rationalize, oh, psh, they chose the wrong quarterback. We would have beat you as if we would have had Cam. <laughs> <laughs> right? You can do that in a heartbeat, can't you? PK said it was okay. Read this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if Rising would have made a difference. I believe fully he would have made a difference in San Jose State because I saw the difference in the Well, hats. you saw the difference, and yeah. it was an OT game. Right. As opposed to a two-possession game, and you didn't see the difference. Right, you didn't, so I don't know. And his, the line was struggling big time at that point, but his ability to run bought him just enough time, mm-hmm. made just enough plays to bring him back against San Diego State. And, and the line wasn't good, and he was still running all over the place, and he took some enormous hits in that game. He has not taken nearly as many hits the last three games as he took in that one. No. But he's strong, and he's fast, and he can run. And he runs through arm tackles, and you don't just grab a handful of jersey and drag him down. And he's Joe Cool, like his interviews. He's like surfer boy. <laughs> <laughs> he is. He's Southern California if it's the profile. A little inland, but nevertheless. Newberry Park's not that far inland. For the L.A. area, it is. Yeah. But the L.A. area is close to the water anyway. But, uh, yeah, he's just, he's got that laid back, Joe Cool, I got this. What are you guys worried about? We're going to be okay. Hey, everything's fine. And since I stuck my neck out, he does not know this. I love him. <laughs> <laughs> I do. After I said that, thanks for not going out and throwing four picks. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You backed me up. I said in training camp, they got to go with this guy, man. Because I had heard last year when he had the comp- competition with Bentley and everything was closed, but that doesn't matter. You can still find out. I didn't see it for myself, but folks had said it. I have access and I'm never going to give them up. But I heard how well he played. And so I ju- and, and, and I remember the first time I interviewed him, interviewed him, and just how cool he looked. And they kept bringing in guys. He's like, I don't care. Bring in, bring in who you want, man. You know, 
It's going to be competition. What Did I think that I was just come here and they were going to hand me the starting job? And he didn't say that literally, but those are the emotions and feelings that he was, the impressions that I were, was getting. Like, well, yeah, of course they're going to bring in some. They're going to bring in somebody every year. This is the way it is. They brought me in. And so whoever, I don't even remember who was quarterbacking then, but whoever, but I think, well, why are you bringing in this guy? That's the way it is. And they're going to bring in somebody next year and a year after and so forth. It's just going to continue because it's all about competition, and you got to have that competition. You just can't have it. That was one of Steve Cleveland's biggest gripes when he took over BYU is he had like two or three guys who could play at that level, and the rest of them couldn't, so those guys knew they could coast because they were going to play. Not all of them. Kelly Wesley was not a coaster by any stretch. The guy balled out big time. The heart of a lion for sure. And... But his complaint was, we don't have competition in practice, so we're not getting better. You know what I mean? Because they weren't good enough. Because it's easy. Yeah, yeah. And they're just the, the, the roster wasn't good enough, and you want that. So, of course, you're going to bring in guys. But he just let it roll off his back. And then he's actually come out and played well. Oh, I would hate him if he sucked. But since he's playing well, I love him. He's my favorite player. Next to Flexman. Well, now make him 4-0. Because it was a proven Saturday last Saturday, but I feel like we're just doubling down on that. Well, but that's the reality if you're in a good position, is that every game then, until you actually clinch, that sure, every game... but you can get below average. get bigger. You can get below average opponents, and these are not... I mean, we were just talking about how... But you still it, have to prove it. I get your point. Yeah, but it's like the top 25. There's no top 25 teams playing each other. At least nobody's playing a team with a losing record. There are games in college football when you go to the stadium and you are 95% sure the 5% is because there's going to be three or four turnovers. And other than that... But that's rare in a Pac-12. It is. But there's still the Arizona and Colorado this games. Year. There. This year. This year, there's usually a couple of teams in a Pac-12 you don't think can pull stuff off. Uh, I don't they know might, that they might combine historically this bad since it's been Somebody's, the 12. Well, it's that they're in the same division, too. Yeah, and you get up, and you get to play ball. That's why they right. need to freaking do away with those divisions. It's going to happen. They, it's coming. It, it absolutely has to happen. I think it happens I'm when convinced. they change the playoff format. I don't know that it happens until then. It, but when it, they change the playoff it's format. It's not in the Pac-12's best interest to have divisions. At first, I thought so, and you keep the purity of it like the old National League and the American League, and they only play each other in a World Series. Now well, you got interleague play, yeah. and the Astros and the Brewers have switched leagues, so I'm over it. I am too. And then we found out that the fans actually liked the interleague play because attendance had spiked. Like, okay, yeah. you got to get with the times. I got with the times. And it's no big deal. When the, whoever wins the World Series going to be jumping up and down, spraying champagne, going nuts. It's not going to matter. Well, I may have played them in May. Who cares? It doesn't matter. So it's the same thing. I thought the divisions was a good thing in the beginning. But now, no. I want Once, them gone. When we have the 12-team play, it might happen before. I can't tell you that. I think but it should happen next season. When, it, when we get to the 12-team playoff, you would be crazy to risk throwing an 8- or 9-win team into the title game against someone who's got 11 or 12 wins and get knocked out. Put your two best teams in there. Yeah, but so if you, you get an automatic chance. bid, that's actually the time to do it. What difference but does you it won't, make? But it won't be automatic. If the top six league champs are in, your eight and four division winner may not be ranked. You could get aced out. You could be hammered. But if a- you get an automatic bid and the Pac-12 winner, whoever it is, it doesn't matter. 
I don't think you're getting an automatic. I don't know that. I'm yeah. saying if I'm not. I'm not right. saying that's the way it's going to go. I'm saying if I think that's the that, way it goes. I think they'll stick with that six highest rated champions. Okay, fine. So you can't risk running a team out there. Well, what do you mean six highest rated champions? Then wouldn't the Pac-12 be in? No, the Sun Belt with Coastal Carolina oh, ranked whatever. Did you just hear what Bob Huggins said? That's never going to happen. <laughs> well, it's on. not because all these conferences are going to get rid of their divisions. And I they don't should. think it's just a Pac-12 And thing. they should. I think they all will. And I don't really care about the others, although I'll care about the Big 12 uh, because yeah. of BYU. Uh, but for the Pac-12, the one that I care about the most, get away from, yeah. get away they from don't, it. They don't have divisions in the Big 12, and I would never even start them. I just... Plug well, in the no, new they, teams they when they show teams. up in a year and a half, and Oklahoma and Texas go away when they go away. You talk and, about no ranked teams. Utah's playing to be ranked. I believe they win yes. Saturday. They're ranked. They and I believe right now today they are one of the best twenty-five teams in the country right now. But a little slow to catch up because the voters didn't stay up late and see the ASU game. It happens. Ah, uh, no, I don't see. I don't, no I, rep for this conference. I think that's bullcrap. A voter, when I voted, even if I didn't see the game, I saw highlights. You can get, you can watch it other ways. There's all sorts of ways. You don't need to stay up and watch it. I, I disagree on that theory. No, they knew full well that the Devils had uh, the front running position, and the Utes came back with a sensational second half. Took it away. All right, DJ PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80, The Zone. The new Zone lineup is here. With the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10. Followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then The Zone welcomes Unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 7. Live and local. All day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone. Powered by kslsports.com. PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. It's time to welcome in Angie Machado, owner of BeaverBlitz.com, covering Oregon State for 24-7 sports. Angie joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows that 2022 budget planning for most businesses is underway. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion, and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at SmartRain.net. Angie, good morning. Good morning. It's, it's appropriate you have Smart Rain as your sponsor because it is pouring here in Oregon. <laughs> and it, That's a shock. I, yeah, pouring. We were, we were talking about this <laughs> early in the week, and it looked like it was going to rain every single day for like a week, you know, before, during, and after the game. Yeah, yeah. It, it, I don't know. It, it was, it was, I mean, I'm an Oregonian, so I'm used to rain, but it poured last night. Good times here. Good times. All right. Before we get in, get into the game and break this down, PK was musing earlier. He wants to know if you're related to Manny. <laughs> you know what? Probably somewhere down the line. No, I don't know. No, it's my husband's name. And it's actually Portuguese. So I don't know if Manny's Portuguese. So 
I, I, I get asked all the time if I'm related to Manny or Rob Machado, the surfer, and I'll take any of the bu- above, sure. Well, it's a cool last name. It rolls off the tongue so well. It does. Yeah. It does. How about rain during the game? There you go. See? Is all it, kinds. Is it going to? Um, act- well, so I watched a weather forecast last night that actually showed kickoff forecast, and you know the, the weatherman said it might be dry during kickoff. Okay. We'll see. And then by the middle of the first quarter, it'll pour again. <laughs> Hopefully the pouring will get out of its system like today. That's that's the hope. But, yeah, it we haven't had rain like this in, in quite some time. So, I mean, like like you guys, we had a little drought kind of go in the summer. But, um, yeah, it'll, it'll disappear pretty quickly here with this. So I'm curious with the with the running game in the rain. You know, when you're straight ahead between the tackles, I just don't think it's that big a deal. If you've got people who are looking to bounce outside, make a cut, you, you'll see people both offensively and defensively, their feet going out from under them. But is Oregon State just more straight ahead? It's full yeah. contact between the tackles. We're coming at you. Yeah, I mean they are, and that's you know I had questions going into the season about the run game. You know, after Jamar Jefferson declared for the draft a year early and. Um, we had a couple untested, you know, B.J. Baylor had some spot action and then Oregon State picked up Deshaun Fenwick, a, a transfer portal guy from South Carolina. So that was kind of my question. You know, I, I thought Oregon State was loaded at wide receiver and, and quarterback was OK. There were some questions there, but the offensive line and then the, the duo of B.J. Baylor and Deshaun Fenwick have been really unstoppable. And I, I hate to say that, but, um, you know, watching that Washington State game, Washington State could not stop the run game. And for whatever reason, Oregon State decided on that last drive when they were, were trying to, to tie it up to, to get away from the run. But um, the offensive line is the strength of this year's offense, and they have been doing a heck of a job in, in that run game blocking. So the Beavers start out a little slow, but then they get on a roll, and then they lose to uh, the Cougars up in Pullman. Uh, how much of the situation of maybe the air out of the balloon or it's just, hey, it's just one loss, everything that we want is still in front of us? You know, it, it's interesting because that's, I'm really anxious to see how this team bounces back because that, they had that tough loss in Pullman and then have that, the bye week. So, you know, we haven't seen much from the coaches, you know, from the, the week following right immediately following that Washington State loss. But the one thing I will, will say is that this coaching staff, you know, with Jonathan Smith, um, he's so even keel. He never gets too excited and he never gets too down. So I think, you know, the team will, will respond to him. But I do want to see. I, I expect the team to come out a little sluggish to start the game. And um, Utah is probably the best opponent that the Beavers have faced yet um, this season. So um, I don't think they can really afford to be too sluggish for too long. But um, that is, it, we just released our, our staff picks. And that was my question is, how does this team respond? Are they going to come out? you know, ready to go? Or are they going to come out a little sluggish in that first quarter? So um, if they come out sluggish, it, it could be a long day for Oregon State. The 240 yards per game, number one in the Pac-12 in rushing, that came up at Kyle Winningham's press conference at the start of the week. Everyone's dialed into that number. Uh, but the fact that they ran for less than 80 yards against Purdue in the opener, well, first off, I'm curious, how, how did that happen? Was it just it's the opener, it's on the road, and stuff happens? But then since then, that means they average, they're averaging 270 yards a game. These are, this is what you would expect out of Air Force, and we saw enough of Air Force in the Mountain West Conference days, and Utah State's still playing them. So how did they get stopped that first game, or is that just completely an outlier and doesn't matter? 
<laughs> it was it's interesting because Oregon State actually started with Sam Neuer as the quarterback in that game. Um, and he was the quarterback midway through the third quarter, so before they made the switch to Chance Nolan. So um, the offense really did nothing under Neuer, sputtered. Um, they were trying to pass more. And then, um, you know, Purdue just had an answer kind of for, for everything. But when Chance Nolan came in, the Beavers were able to put up two quick touchdowns and get it, you know, within striking range, um, and we're, we're moving the ball with him. So, um, yes, we've seen the O-line in the run game get better as the, as the season gone on, has gone on, but the play calling has also changed dramatically since those first two and a half quarters um, in West Lafayette. Concerned about the defense. You know, they're allowing almost 50% on the third down conversions, and Utah's offense is coming in with a ton of momentum on all four possessions in the second half against the Sun Devils. They scored touchdowns. So what's the level of concern there about Oregon State being able to get off the field defensively? You know, that's, you know Oregon State's defense has been the Achilles heel of this team for, for years. I mean, going back, you know, 10 years now, um, especially, though, under the Gary Anderson years and now under the Tim Tibisar, Jonathan Smith years. This, te- this defense is better, um, but that third down number is striking. They're, they're ranking 124th out of 130 teams in third down conversions right now. Um, I asked Coach Smith that at the press conference because, to me, that's concerning. That has not improved in his four years. I asked him if that was a scheme or a personnel issue because Washington State converted eight of eight third down conversions in the second half uh, two weeks ago. So that was, you know, he, he kind of gave me the coach speak of, well, it's a little bit of both. Um, it's a little scheme. It's, it's some personnel and it's some of the opponent just making plays. But that has to be a huge concern and that has to change. You know, Oregon State looking at the second half of the season has Utah. They have Stanford. They have ASU and Oregon all to close off this year. And if, if they want to make a bowl game and, and finish as, as strong and as hot as they kind of started this year, that has to be the biggest concern of this, of this team. Because of the schedule, is no one talking about winning the division? No, that's, that's still there. Um, I think it's kind of on, on the back burner. You know, it, it's kind of in the, the back of everyone's mind. And, you know, they don't really want to talk about it because they want to stay focused on one game at a time. And, um, you know, they are, you know, tied with Oregon for, for the Pac-12 North. And, and this is a team that has done some really good things. They just need to tighten up some things. And, um, you know, I, I think fans never would have expected, expected them to be in this position right now. Um, you know, it was bowl gamer, you know, this was, this was a year, you know, get to six wins and make a bowl game. And, and now everyone's kind of looking at, whoa, you know, this, this could be a, a big year. So, um, it's kind of the unspoken around the team though. And, uh, Jonathan, like I said, even keel, Jonathan Smith, and seriously, I have never seen a coach as even keel. I thought Mike Riley was even keel and, and Jonathan Smith is, is even more so than him. So, um, that's it's that one game at a time mentality, and I'm excited for this game though because Oregon State and Utah, it it seems to be a, a pretty fun matchup year after year. How many yards do you think they have to run for in order to win? Gosh, if the weather's as bad as it is now, they have to run for you know two fifty to three. Um, and, and the passing game, you know, that's where I, I thought Oregon State would really shine this year. You know, they have a couple tight ends that really haven't performed like I thought they would, like what we saw in fall camp, um, and, a, and a slew of, of wide receivers. So, um, But I, with the weather the way it is, I think they have to run for 300. So is that really any team or just looking out the window, it wouldn't matter who's playing, it doesn't matter? I mean, can the, U- the Utes are getting good at throwing the ball to their tight end and they're getting some plays out of their wide receiver, but is this just not 
it's just not doable given how things are up there right now. Yeah, I mean, like I said, Oregon State likes to do that too. Um, you know, like I said, they have a couple tight ends, Luke Musgrave and Tegan Quatoriano. They have, like I said, a slew of wide receivers. This is a group that they're, they're what, eight deep. So um, it's not like you have one guy that they're going to focus on. And I, and I know they'd like to be balanced to be able to run and pass the ball. But like I said, if, if it's not raining, yes, absolutely. I think both Utah and Oregon State are going to have some success in the passing game. But just what they're expecting and what they're calling for, I think it could be pretty nasty. Um, when, when you hear the word atmospheric river um, <laughs> on the weather forecast, <laughs> that, that just makes me think uh, it's going to be a, a ground and pound game for both teams. But when Nolan throws, they like to throw the ball downfield because they don't really throw the ball to the backs. No, yeah. I mean, we, we are seeing, it's interesting because I, I think they've been pretty vanilla still with some of their play call. And, and we've seen some, pieces of a, of a fly sweep returning back to Corvallis and that has worked really well. I mean, Oregon state does have a couple really small, quick receivers that, that can do that fly sweep real similar to what we used to see with James Rogers and Brandon cooks and Sammy Strader and some of that. But um, there's a, there's a lot of the playbook. I don't think we've seen offensively, but um, you know, you have, you have Tyjon Lindsay's healthy and he's really come along this year. He's a, a four-star transfer that came in from Nebraska Um we have Trayshawn Harrison lining up for for the Beavs. That um, he was a, a local Washington State four star that transferred from Florida State. So Oregon State is making a lot of use of that transfer portal and bringing guys in with maybe a, a higher talent level than some of the preps they may they re, may recruit. But um, another name I'll, I'll throw it out there for your for your listeners is An- uh, Anthony Gould. He's really come on strong the past couple games and not a name that many people would have heard about recruiting. He's a local kid from West Salem high school and um, fast shifty and has made some big, big plays down the stretch here for Oregon state. We're joined right now by Angie Machado, owner of beaverblitz.com covering Oregon state for 24 seven sports. And I am, uh, I'm curious of what you think watching the whole league here. It seems like when you just look at the standings, there's five teams with a chance to win the conference. But can you narrow that down pretty quickly, looking at them and dismiss some of those teams? Yeah, you know, I I mean, watch it. It's been kind of wild to watch. But I I think when you look at the North, I think you have to look Oregon, Oregon State are kind of right there. Stanford maybe the the next tier down. Um, But I think those three kind of stand out. I think the Pac-12 South. ASU and, and Stanford, or ASU and Utah obviously are, are right there. I, I just like Utah's physicality, um, so I, I would actually, and I actually picked Utah to win the Pac-12 South this year preseason. So um, it, it's, I'm happy, I guess, to see the, the Utes uh, stepping up, and, and then UCLA. They're they're kind of an enigma. I, they should be really, really good, and I think they've shown to be good, but um, they they can stumble too. I, I think everybody in this league can stumble, um, you know. And, and Oregon, I. Well, we lost Angie right there. That was abrupt. It was. I thought I pulled my headphones out of my socket. I'm here. And okay, she's good. back. All hey, right. Good. I'm back. Sorry. Technology. No, I, I, Technology's little, great until it isn't. A little rain delay. No problem. No, yeah, it's rain delay. So, no, I, I was saying that I think when you look at the North, Oregon State, Oregon, and, and then Stanford, maybe the next year down, or you're kind of the, the top three that stand out there. I, I do think Oregon has, has not been as dominant as people think they are. I, I, I don't think they are unbeatable at all. Um, Utah, I picked Utah to be the, the Pac-12 South 
to win the Pac-12 South preseason, and, and they're kind of stepping up to that role. And then ASU, I think, is, is right there. But um, I think what we saw from Utah ASU was, um, you know, again puts Utah above them in in the as the cream of the crop of the of the South. I think Oregon State's uh, key here is uh, uh, they finally found some stability in coaches, and Smith's one of your own, so to speak, there, and recruiting is picking up. I know it's a big recruiting weekend. They're expected to have a lot of kids at the game to uh, show off the program, so that's going to help. But it looks like, from a distance anyway, that this program's trajectory is pointing up. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that was, you know, Coach Smith said it wasn't going to be a, a quick turnaround, and um, but yeah, he, being that he played at Oregon State, went to school at Oregon State, he uses that, you know, on the recruiting trail. That hey, I've been to, cl- I've lived in these dorms, I've walked this campus, and um, you know, he knows what it takes to win. You know, he was part of the quarterback on that team that finished number four in the nation in 2000, and uh, he he knows. So he has built this team. There's stability. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how he can keep the staff together um, as they find more success, but. Um, you know, he is, he's getting a better, you know, he's, he's drawing attention from better athletes and, uh, he's, he's got them believing in Corvallis and in that locker room that, and, and I think his tagline is we ain't done yet. And, and they really, they do believe that. Well, if I've taken anything away from, uh, a few minutes on the phone with you here, it's the phrase atmospheric river. That sounds like a good <laughs> the atmospheric time. river. Yeah. So see, look at that. You, you talk to me about football and I'm able to drop some knowledge about weather atmospheric river well that's the kind of it's kind of football game Kyle Whittingham would probably prefer anyway just smash mouth football and here we go Angie thanks for a few minutes we appreciate it absolutely have a great day you guys Angie Machado owner of beaverblitz.com covering Oregon State for 24-7 sports so there it is ground and pound let's go see who can shove each other around for three hours and win that game I have a hard time imagining that a team against Utah, Utah's defense, is going to give up 300 yards on the ground. I agree with you. But if, they, if Oregon State runs for 200, do they win? I mean, their average is 240. No. 270 since the opener. No. If the Utes keep it to 200 or below, it's a W, baby. Because I think that Oregon State's defense is not going to be... Uh, good enough. Basically, yeah. yes. They're, so, they're just not good enough. That number, the fact that teams are converting, I think it's 48.9% of their third downs, 124th out of 130 in Division I football. The neighborhood they are hanging out includes Kansas and UMass. Third down's the only down. Get off the field, all that kind of stuff. If you're really bad at that, then you just can put together some drives. And this could be a really good game to have multiple backs. A lot of carries, long drives. You be the team with 70, 75 snaps. Make sure they get 50 or 55. Play keep away. Never let them get in rhythm. I feel better about Utah's chances after listening to her. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Alex Brink, Washington State radio football analyst, will join us again. Washington State lost to Utah State, lost to Utah, and now they got BYU coming in. We'll talk with Alex coming up at 9.10 right here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. It's game week for the Aggies, and the Zone Sports Network is getting you ready for kickoff. 
It's a Friday night showdown in Logan as Blake Anderson and the Aggies welcome in the Colorado State Rams for a big Mountain West Conference battle. Listen all week long for your chance to win tickets to the game and then catch all the play-by-play action beginning with the Aggie pregame show Friday at 6.30. From Monday morning to all the play-by-play action, nobody brings you better coverage of Aggie football than 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Football Fridays presented by Stonehaven Dental. At Stonehaven Dental, they say yes. Yes to free exams and x-rays for new patients and flexible opponents. Say yes to great dental care. Visit StonehavenDental.com to schedule an appointment. PK, catching up with the people. Got polls up at Twitter, and it is uh, overwhelming here. 72% of the people think the Utes are going to beat Oregon State. 73% think BYU will beat Washington State. 85% think the Aggies are going to beat CSU. And you're feeling better about the Utes now. Got the lowdown from Angie Machado, owner of BeaverBlitz.com. Right there on the third down conversions Oregon State is allowing. That's a major problem. Says there is a huge storm. Atmospheric River. Pounding uh, Corvallis and, well, a lot of Oregon, actually. I think that's a wash. Is that a joke? I can see where you thought it was a joke, but no. But I was meaning that it, it's... It'll impact equal. both teams. Neither team will be able to throw the ball that well. Yeah. I do think even in these conditions, there's a chance to make big plays. You don't want to go out and throw the ball, you know, four times out of five. And you get a first and 20, and now you're in trouble. So stay away from those penalties that put you in the bad down and distance. But... A chance to hit on a big play when everybody's overplaying the run and one guy misses a tackle and psh, gone. I just don't see a time where an opponent runs for 300 yards against Whittingham. He'll cut everybody on the spot. <laughs> Make them walk back from Corrales. Well, the advantage, one of the many advantages, uh, you were talking earlier about Steve Cleveland when he went to BYU and there was no depth and so guys knew they weren't going to be subbed and they didn't have to practice as hard because they were just better than the guys they were facing. The Utah defensive line, man, if somebody's screwing up, he can run another guy in there. He's got plenty of depth. And, and he's got Devin Lloyd. That's a bonus. Devin Lloyd's the best linebacker they've had. And they've had NFL linebackers. He's the best linebacker ever in this state. Ooh. Ooh. Rob Morris wants a word. Get him on the line. <laughs> I heard him on the air about a month ago. The freight train? He's awesome. He was freight, awesome. The freight train himself? Yeah. No, 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 no doubt. He was awesome. Yeah. And built maybe more for this game than the modern game because he's better against the run than the pass when he got to the NFL. Absolutely. And in college, he was Absolutely. good enough to do everything. Yeah. But in the NFL, that was a little Achilles heel. And Devin Lloyd in coverage. He's first team he All American. First team. Goodbye, SEC. I got somebody better than you. And him filling gaps, making tackles gives you a lot of confidence, as it should. He's a brilliant player. He's a prototypical modern linebacker. His impact on the NFL will be greater than Lawrence Taylor's was. That's where I draw the line. Okay, good. (laughs) (laughs) When you went to impact on the NFL, I was going, well, Bobby Wagner. Okay, now let's have a debate. Best linebacker. Because Bobby Wagner has had a long Hall of Fame career. Yeah. Oh, he's on a Hall of Fame track, no doubt. Yeah. He didn't come out of nowhere. 
He was very good in college, but he's upped his game big time. And the Seattle defense from the time they won the Super Bowl has changed hands and faces. He's I, the have to, I have to look at a program to right. make sure I got it all right. And he's there. He was there then. He's there now. Yeah. Yep. He's really, really good. He's awesome. He, I can argue he's the best. But I think Lloyd is going to have a more impactful college career. I'm not talking about NFL. Two different things. That they are. You know, just like you argue, well, Jimmer had the most impactful college career. And I, I'm not saying he did. But I'm saying you can argue it. But obviously the pro career wasn't nearly as good as Andre Miller's for just off the top of my head. Uh, but that's that's. But to get back category. to the game at hand, to stop Oregon State's run game, the defensive line wins the battle, doesn't get pushed around, and the linebackers come in and make plays. And when he's one of your linebackers filling some gap, making a play, or chasing somebody down when it looks like they got a chance on one of those fly sweeps she was talking about, and he just chases them down and drags them down, and it's not a big play. It's a three-yard gain. No, he's brilliant. He's, he's absolutely brilliant. And he's lived up to the billing. He was expected to be brilliant this year, and he is. He's a great player. He's fun to watch. Humble kid. Great interview. Uh, he's all interview team. I assume this is going to be it. And I have to always look at uh, their rosters. I don't know who's what eligibility-wise anymore with last year. But I would think a guy like him and Ford would go get some money. Well, especially him. What else you got to prove? Him, 100%. I never really... I mean, he almost went last year and then decided to come back and improve his stock. And he's been awesome this year, so yeah. I assume this is it. And I just don't think a defense spearheaded by him is going to allow 300 yards. It very well could happen, but I, right here now, I would be very surprised. So I. But see, do they have to have 300 yards to win the game? Well, the expert is saying they need 250 to 300. That seems like an enormous number against the Utes. She said with the caveat that the weather as it stands currently would require that. Bring yeah. on your atmospheric river. All right. All that means is drizzle. We're going to bring on Alex Brink, Washington State radio football analyst. Alex joins us next. Stay with us. This week's Raiders game against the Eagles is brought to you by America First Credit Union, the exclusive home of the official Raider debit card. All of the same great features and benefits now with a silver and black. Learn more at americafirst.com slash Raiders. Alex Brink is going to join us momentarily, Washington State football radio analyst. Got college football tonight with Utah State playing CSU. Tomorrow at 1.30, FS1. With BYU and Washington State, and then 5.30 Pac-12 Network for the Utes. So, although there are no top 25 showdowns tomorrow, you got a couple of local games. And then, PK, I think the plan is wait to see which top 25 team is on the road and in trouble and getting upset. And same deal with the NFL on Sunday, where there aren't any huge games. Chargers and Ravens turned out to be a lopsided game last week, but it looked good going in, a couple of 4-1 and teams in that. And this week it'll be more, all right, what's... 500 or sub-500 team can take down a team with a winning record. We're on upset watch for the next two days when we're not watching the Utes and the, and the Cougars. And there'll be something. Can't be chalk everywhere for two days. What the hell's chalk? The favorites. That's Jersey gambling speak, talk. Well, speak t- plain English, man. Chalk. It's a Pac-12 game tonight, isn't there? Yes, there is. 
Arizona and Washington? I believe you are correct. But I have to look to see ESPN 2. You don't have to look. I know. You knew where it was? I didn't know you knew where it was. Well, I know they're playing. I don't know what They're playing in Tucson. 2 and 4 Washington and 0 and 6 Arizona. The streak. (laughs) What is it? Is it 18? Yeah, it was uh, 7, 5, and then whatever it is. 6, so 18. 18 straight losses for Arizona. They got to get to 20. (laughs) You need the round number? (laughs) Well. I don't really care what they do. One more game down the end. Last well, game Washington would be 19, USC would be 20, and then Cal, they can snap it. So you watch the Pac-12 tonight and the Mountain West both. Oh, flick around for sure. CSU and Utah State is on the CBS Sports Network. And CSU is off to a 2-0 start in the Mountain West. The Aggies are 2-1. Mm. Air Force is 2-1. And USU's already beaten them and got the tiebreaker on them. So and look at you, man. Aggies in great shape if they win this game. You get out from under ownership? Yeah, flick around. College, you don't even mention the Jazz. Look at you. Look at you, man. Free of them? Pfft. Who cares about them? Totally off my radar, to be honest. <laughs> Didn't even think it, because I will be watching them. <laughs> I'm in football mode in October. Look around. You don't even mention the most popular team. Man, 8 o'clock tonight. You've taken to this change quickly. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily true, as you know. And you've also got baseball at 6 o'clock as the Astros try to close out the Red Sox. I knew that. If I get out of football mode. So you got you got four options. Well, that's why when you were going, I thought, well, tonight is actually a great night. This is a great time of year. This is the best time of year sports-wise. There's just no question about it in my mind. Others can argue. That's fine. But to me, this is the number one time of year. You just named it. I got college football, which I actually love. I don't have NFL football tonight, but we don't have it on Friday nights, so I understand that. And then you've got the Jazz game, and, and and these games matter. All this stuff, yeah. I'm I'm overrun with it, and it's awesome. Time to bring in Alex Brink, Washington State Radio football analyst. Joins us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is coming soon. Take advantage of the Save Now Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. Alex, welcome back to the show. What's going on, guys? Washington State, are they the fourth place team in the state of Utah? Lost to the Aggies, lost to the Utes, didn't have the quarterback for that game. Now, don't have their head coach and half the assistants for this game, and it's just nonstop drama and storylines for Washington State. It sure feels like it. It's been, uh, you know, it's been that way since obviously preseason with, uh, you know, prior to Pac-12 Media Day with Nick Rolovich, and then, you know, I, this team has really struggled at times with with injuries, and you, you mentioned the quarterback position it took them a while to settle on a guy, and and finally Jane Dolores kind of taking the reins, and right as the team's catching its stride with a three-game win streak, you know, in the Pac-12, you see the the obvious, you know, kind of elephant in the room. Uh, Nick Rolovich ends up getting fired, and so you know now this team's really trying to kind of figure out, you know, how do they how do they right the ship, so to speak. I think for the kids, it's a little bit easier, right? They're college kids; they kind of they they are able to compartmentalize some of these things. So I'm really interested to see you know how this team responds when they come out tomorrow. How about you make an example, uh, uh, not an example, but a situation where. 
okay, the dust has settled now. This is no longer hanging over our heads. I had a friend. He was rumored to be fired, and it was wearing on him. He finally did get fired, but he said he felt a sense of relief and that he didn't have to worry about it anymore. There's anything there that you can apply in this situation? Yeah, I think that's very true. You know, it's funny. A sim- kind of a similar situation happened in the NFL, right, with John Gruden, where you know he was in the locker room for a week where there was a ton of that outside noise swirling and everything going on, and they played, you know, they played terrible and lost a couple weeks ago, and then he ends up getting fired, and you kind of wonder how the team's going to respond, and they come out and get, they get a big win last week. And I think there's very similar comparisons in the sense that, yeah, it, I mean, there was a cloud hanging over the team. It was relatively inevitable that, you know, that train was coming down the tracks. And so I do think there's an element where you can just you can kind of move on, and as athletes we learn that, that's part of it, right? If I make a mistake on the field, I have to compartmentalize it and move on. That that's all. That's the only way to do it. And so, in this sense, it's the same thing. Obviously, you know, the players they had a relationship with Coach Rolovich and the other coaches that got let go. But at the same time, they got to go play on Saturdays, and so they're able to kind of move that forward. And from everything I've heard about Jake Dicker, the the defensive coordinator and now interim head coach, I mean, I think he's you know handled this situation as well as you could expect. The energy at practice has been good, and so. You know, I think it's the best version of this you could have so far, and, and ultimately you got to put the product on the field on Saturday. So if there were one thing about Washington State, and you can never boil it down to one thing, but you got to start somewhere. So if there's one thing with the Cougars, I just doubt their ability to close. I saw them not close Utah State out in the fourth quarter when they had multiple chances. The Ute game got away from them in the fourth quarter. USC, I thought they were in good shape at halftime, although it was close and anything could happen, and then they just got run off the field in the second half. Can you put your finger on why this happens? Because they're 4-3, and three and all three games get away third or fourth quarter. Yeah, it's a fair criticism. I mean, there's no doubt. And it, it had happened even back into 2020, right, under Nick Rolovich, that, the Utah game, the Oregon game, the, you know, that year. And so there were some big question marks. And then, you know, the team kind of responded in a way. They had Oregon State um, on the ropes and had a late drive that they had to get a stop and or they had to get a score and a stop, and they did. And then last week, Jane Delora leads the team down to get um, to score a touchdown uh, late to win it versus Stanford, and, and the defense gets a stop also. And so, you know, you wonder if the team's turned the corner. I think it's it's hard to at this point to say that, you know, two is a trend, but um, they certainly are seem to have been moving in the right direction in that regard. I think the difference in the games you're talking about was the defense really, you know, did the best they could kind of through those four quarters and ended up getting a little bit worn out and the defense or the offense didn't hold up their end of the bargain. And that's really what you've seen the last three weeks during these three, you know, these three wins is that Washington State's offense has played considerably better. And, and I think if they can do that, because the defense really has played, although stats may not show it, the defense really has played well. They turn the ball over a ton. They're super aggressive. And so I think if the offense can match that, then they're going to find success. How about a situation of this offense finishing drives with touchdowns as opposed to field goals? Yeah, I mean that's I mean that's that's the thing, right? I mean you saw that at the in the Utah game they get inside the five twice. Um, I think they get stopped once and they kick a field goal once. They did that consistently against Utah State. They did it really every game this year up until the last couple of weeks. It felt like they've kicked a ton of field goals instead of scoring touchdowns. And some of that was to me was you know scheme related. They wouldn't. They were kind of trying to do different things offensively, um, you know, that I don't know were conducive to success and that they found the last few weeks a few different things. Now, 
I mean, to be very fair about the offensive play calling, that had gotten uh, moved to Craig Stutzman, who is the assistant offensive coordinator, and now he's gone. And so they're going to have to kind of figure out Brian Smith, who is who was the other co-offensive coordinator who originally was calling plays. You know, does he kind of take what Coach Stutzman was doing and some of those things, and can he get it into his game plan and his play calling and those sort of things? So how much set set the head coach aside? You know, losing a line coach, losing a play caller. How is that going to change the team if it does? I, I, I do think, in particular, Craig Stetsman, who was the quarterback coach and ended up being kind of play caller last few weeks, is, is a big loss for this team. He's a bright young coach, um, had a lot of really good things going, had a great rapport with Jaden Delora, the quarterback. So um, I do think that that matters. Um, you know, I think the other guys, they, they obviously matter. I mean, it's important. But, um, you know, what Washington State has done is they've gone and found some veteran assistants that have been in the run and shoot had relationships with these coaches and players before. And so you bring those guys in and you can in a way kind of, uh, you know, kind of stop the leak, so to speak for a little bit and build that. And it's the easiest um, transition in this scenario you could have. You also, like I said, have Brian Smith still on staff um, who was the offensive coordinator running back coach. So you have a guy that is very connected with the kids. So, you know, I think, they're going to find a way. I, I don't know how it plays out. I think that's will probably the biggest question mark um, because the team offensively had been so much better the past few weeks, and now they got to, in a way, kind of reset and, and hopefully draw on some of those things again. So then maybe with Dicker taking over, rely on the defense, which, except for the Cal game, has gotten at least two takeaways in every game. So you think that that's what they need to do in this game? So I think there's no doubt. I mean, I think the defense has to, has to turn the ball over. That's kind of been their calling card all year. Um, like you said, I mean, they just, they're, they're, ball, they're ball hawks. The defensive line's playing really well. They rush the passer incredibly well. Brennan Jackson and R.J. Stone are, are as two, two as good defensive ends as you'll find in the country that can get home. Um, and then that secondary, the two corners, um, I mean, really are big, 6'3", both about 185, 190 pounds. Jalen Watson's going to play on Sundays. Uh, I think if Washington State is, wins this football game, it's because the defense turns the ball over multiple times. Alex Brink joining us, Washington State radio football analyst. You know, there's that theory that, you know, we do what we do. The opponent is nameless and faceless and all that. But you can't help but watch another team's games and and see BYU give up 300 yards rushing to Baylor. Now they've been challenged by their coaches to turn that all around. Do you think that Washington State should be feeding Max Borgia in this game and seeing if they can run it? Or... Delora's really been coming on and the ball's got to be in his hand and that's the way to go and don't get distracted by what happened with uh, Baylor's run game versus BYU's run defense. I think it matters. I mean, you got to look at that and, and say, especially for a Washington State offense that, you know, the run and shoot tries to maintain a semblance of balance, right? It's not the air raid. I think if this was Mike Leach, right, he would say, he would say it doesn't matter. We're going we're gonna to throw that thing all over the yard. But, you know, you look at uh, this offense with Max Borgie and this offense one, you're going to try and run the football. And they, you know, last week they ran it better. Um, they've kind of consistently ran the ball better in, again, those last, these last few weeks. And I think, you know, Borgie has a chance to have a, a big game potentially. And, and you got to look at that. I mean, there's just, that's the reality of it, especially for BYU. Um, you know, they've shown a few uh, kinks, in, kinks in the armor. And so it's, it's time for Washington State to look at that and say, how can we take advantage? And we know why this, the assistants had the leave, 
but it seems like it's a highly unusual amount of assistants who decided against the vaccine. Was there any reason beyond they just didn't want it uh, as far as uniformity and following the head coach type of thing? You know, I don't know that specifically, to be honest with you. Um, you got to think that there's probably a relative sense of that to some degree. But, you know, in the end, I, I guess everybody's kind of making their own, their own decision, right? But um, I assume when you're kind of in that orbit that there's some element of that. But I don't know that any of that was ever clarified. So we know there's a lawsuit out there. Was there a, a lot of conflict between the administration and the football coaching staff? I guess especially the AD and the head coach, but maybe more generally as well, leading – up to this, were, there, were the waters roiling back uh, at the end of last season or spring football? You know, I, I don't think so. That's you know, I think the tone of kind of some of the paperwork that came out is is inevitable, right? It, it just kind of has to be like that to, to get yourself, if you're Nick Rolovich, in a position where in the end you're trying to to chase uh, you know dollars that you know you may not get from your contract, and so. The, in general, uh, you know, with the athletic director, Pat Chun, and, and Nick Rolovich, Pat Chun felt very strongly that Nick Rolovich was the right hire for Washington State, you know, when they brought him in. I mean, he came recommended from Mike Leach and other folks. The, the system was, was a nice fit. Um, he was great with the players. And so I think they thought it was right. And then they get into this situation that, you know, frankly, was it was out of the administration's hands in the end, right? I mean, that was coming from, from higher than – just uh, just the university, and so what they the reality of it was just trying to figure out what the next steps were. And I know that there were conversations where Nick Rolovich was, you know, saying, "Hey, if this happens and I can't be a part of this team, here are guys that can help out." So you know, Rolovich was kind of a part of that process a little bit. Um, in all honesty, so I don't think there was any of that, you know, kind of roiling of the waters, as you say, during the time. I think this was just a a situation where. You know, there was a reality that came to a conclusion, and in the end, um, it was what it was. And I think the, the paperwork and kind of what's happening now is inevitable, I guess, in this situation. Well, Alex, enjoy the game. Thanks for coming on with us multiple times this year. We appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you again. Much appreciated, guys. Take care. Alex Brink, Washington State Radio Football Analyst. Join us right here on 97.5 1280 The Zone. So watch the Cougars and the turnovers because Wazoo's been good at forcing turnovers and when they are good at forcing turnovers we know what turnovers does and the impact it has on games and it's all played out for them and then watch the second half in general but the fourth quarter specifically because four of their seven games have come down to the fourth quarter they scored one fourth quarter touchdown the first five games and that was against Portland State and now they got three fourth quarter touchdowns in the last two games. Wow. Figuring something out late in games. Fourth quarter touchdowns, huh? One in five weeks isn't good, PK. Not good. Yeah, but I mean, but maybe they fixed it. How do you know they could have scored three against Portland? They didn't need to. That's true. Come on. But they needed to against the Utes and the Aggies, and they did. Well, didn't. if you lose games, you need to. There you go. So I just look at the number of losses. Got shut out in the second half by USC. Yeah, they did. All right, 4-3 Washington State, hosting 5-2 BYU tomorrow at 1.30 on FS1. David Locke in Sacramento, Jazz and Kings tonight. He joins us next. Stay with us. The New Zone lineup is here. With the best coverage of the sports you love and the teams you can't live without. 
Catch DJ and PK mornings from 6 to 10, followed by Jake Scott and Ben Anderson from 10 to noon. Get your daily fix of Hans and Scotty from noon to 3. And then the Zone welcomes Unrivaled with Alex Curie and former NFL quarterback Scott Mitchell to the team. Weekdays from 3 to 7, live and local, all day, every day. This is 97.5, 1280 The Zone, powered by kslsports.com. DJ PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. It is time to welcome in David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. The 9 a.m. Slacker radio headlines are brought to you by Lee's Heating and Air. David, good morning. Hello, David James. How are you? He's good. We are good if you're not responding. Wow. <laughs> He's fumbling through papers to let us know who you're sponsoring. David Locke's weekly interview is brought to you by the Murdoch I Auto can Team. I I'm brought to you by the Murdoch Auto Team, who has a good amount of inventory coming in between now and December. It's been tough on cars, and the Murdochs also are not charging higher than MSRP on any cars at all. So stop by Murdoch Auto Dealerships, Chevy in Woods Cross and Logan, or in um, the Hyundai dealerships in uh, Logan, Linden, and in Salt Lake City. How's that? Humana humna. Humana humna. <laughs> There's also, aren't I on some other line that's about the drought? Like, come on, can you remember that one too? Uh, there's actually three reads for you, but I'm not going to do three all at once. You're not, so we have to sneak. So should I every five minutes be like, stop, get your read in so you don't forget? <laughs> no, we'll be okay. All right, so game one is in the books. It turns out Rudy can still rebound, and Joe can still shoot three-pointers, and Jordan Clarkson is still instant offense off the bench, and Donovan Mitchell shocked everyone by only scoring two points in the first half but then got back to normal in the second half. So did you learn anything, or that was like uh, preseason game 2.0, they beat the Thunder, let's move on? Uh, Thunder aren't good. Um, right. I think the, I do think that there, there's this funky little thing going on in the league. The unintended consequence of all the positives about the playing game is that I do think there's these franchises that are getting just making sure they're so bad that they're not in 10th place, right? Because if you're in 12th or 13th, your fan base suddenly wants you to compete for 10th. So you've got to make sure you're really clearly in 14th or 15th um, place in, in your conference. And I think Oklahoma City, Houston, and Orlando have done a wonderful job to make sure that's true this year. Um, so there's just some really bad, those teams are really bad. Um, um, you know, I actually, you know, let's add in that the coaching staff still makes amazing adjustments at halftime. Like they made a subtle little change to get Donovan going when being guarded by Lou Dort to open up the third quarter. It worked perfectly. I thought that, you know, just, yeah, Hey, we're really good. Like, right. Like our, the biggest questions out of our fan base right now are about Hassan Whiteside and how Jared Butler works in. So if you're worried about your, your ninth guy behind your historically great center and your tenth guy in a team that usually has a nine-man rotation, then you're really good. So what do you think of Whiteside? Um, I think what we're asking out of him is crazy hard, so let's start there, right? Like, So we just announced the top 75 players of all time, and I actually think Rudy, you know, in 10 years, they're gonna, you're going to wonder why Rudy wasn't on that list. Um, he's going to go down – in the modern in the modern era to me, and maybe I'm forgetting someone, there's been four great defensive centers. Dwight Howard, Dikemi Mutombo, Ben Wallace, and Akeem Olajuwon. And Mark Eaton probably gets in there somewhere, but like just those four to me are kind of, are the elite kind of and five. We can call Mark five. Um are the elite, elite defensive centers of all time. Like Rudy's going down is better than Mark. Rudy's going down, I think, is better than Dwight. I think Rudy's going but down better than Dikembe. 
Um, he might go down better than Ben Wallace, but that was pretty special. And the Lajuan was incredible. Um, and I think Lajuan, because he was, you know, it's probably one of the 10 or 15 greatest players of all time. We've forgotten how good he was defensively. So we're talking about a guy who in the modern era is going to be one of the two or three best defensive players of all time. And we're asking someone to do exactly what he does every time. And we wonder why he struggles at it. So I think we have to understand that what we're asking out of Whiteside is virtually impossible um, to do. And I thought he did it fine. And over time, we'll see. What I don't know about Whiteside is whether he's a learner, right? So as Quinn teaches him and the coaching staff teaches him what he's doing, is that in his skill set to take in information and use it? Or does he, you know, when he played for Miami for five straight years and was good, well, that's un- he knew that system by the time. And then he was okay in Portland and he wasn't good in Sacramento. And so what it's very hard to bounce from team to team every year and integrate new systems and understand how to play. And I don't know where he is on that scale of being able to learn. Yeah, but at the same time, I get the feeling he's not being asked a lot because he's not being asked to win the game. He's being asked not to lose it. And so if they go out there and trade buckets while he's on the floor, isn't that good enough? Uh, yeah, we were a little more than trading buckets with favors last year, even though we weren't good defensively. So we'd probably like a little bit more than that. I mean, he is playing with another all-star in Mike Conley or with an all-star in Mike Conley and playing actually usually with Mike and some of the time with Donovan. Excuse me, he's not playing with Mike. Mike's only playing with Rudy. Um, so he's playing with an all-star in Donovan some of the time and then with Jordan and Joe. So it's a pretty good lineup. We better be better than just trading baskets in that time period. I saw Conley didn't even play 25 minutes. Do you think it's a situation where if they don't need him to win the game, don't play him? No, I think the goal – I mean, I think Mike's a 32-minute player at this point in his career – and then anytime you can shave four minutes off, that'd be great. So that's the reason why Jared Butler's playing. Um, and Trent Forrest is available tonight. It might be Trent Forrest tonight against De'Aaron Fox. I wouldn't be surprised at all if Trent Forrest didn't play. Um, so the, the reason you're playing those, that 10th man in the rotation right now is if you can sneak three minutes out of him in the, first, in the second and fourth quarters, and then suddenly you're taking Mike Conley's minutes down an extra – three to four or five minutes, that's a big deal by the end of the season. Right? right. If you do yeah. that in yeah, yeah. 80 games, it's 400 minutes. So that's what I'm saying. So, so yeah, we, so we I, can expect to see more of it if the situation yeah. allows it. Yeah, I think the situation allowing it, though, you, the way you phrased it, PK, was if you're not, like, unless it's going to help you win. I think the situation is more of um, if Jared Butler and Trent Forrest can be productive in those short, tiny stints. Is you know, and not that's probably where DJ's break even is is correct, um, and not be detrimental to us. And then the other thing is you want to have either Jared Butler or Trent Forrest ready. You know, we have two back to backs coming up on Saturday Sundays on our upcoming road trips. I think we do what Chicago, Milwaukee, and Miami, Orlando. Is that right? On those two, like Mike's, I'd be really surprised if Mike played both those games. So on those nights, now you suddenly need twenty two to twenty four out of those guys and. Um, and the, it's hard to ask a guy to sit for eight games and then play 24 minutes. So let's let him play six to eight and then play 24. Playing the Kings, Harrison uh, Barnes went uh, berserk and Buddy Heel shot it pretty well. The law of numbers, will it revert to the mean here? Or, uh, well, I or want, this is a 120-point game for the Kings if the Jazz aren't careful. Yeah, so here's the great thing about working with Ron Boone. He's just the best, right? He's 75 years old and he could fully – check in and be like, you know what, actually, I've like pretty well established. I don't need to work. Like, But the exact opposite is that Ron Boone and I sit on the plane yesterday and watched the Kings um, Blazers game. So 
Um, a few things on that. One, the Blazers really did not look particularly engaged. If I was in Portland, I'd be pretty concerned about what I saw in that game and the amount of defensive mistakes they made, particularly on plays involving Dame and CJ, where those guys have played together for a long time and are just like, don't, it wasn't clear what they were doing. It was a little disturbing. So Portland did not put out a particularly good effort defensively in that game. Uh, the Jazz will put out a far better effort. So I'm not sure Harrison Barnes will get the same looks. Um, a lot of straight line drives, though, in the half court. Like, we're going to have to, to guard our yard stuff is going to be a big part of this. They run a lot of action at the top where they're big trailing and they kind of start it on one side, swing it to the other. And it's a lot of false action that just kind of breaks into one on one drives um, from them. And then they're the number one team in the league in transition, so you better get back defensively. I, I do think this. I think, I don't know if they did, if Sacramento did this because of the fact that. Um, Dame Lillard and C.J. McCollum were playing, but last year Sacramento was the worst team in the league against the pick-and-roll ball handler. And they threw kind of a tepid double toward, I don't know what it was, kind of toward Damian Lillard where two guys came off picks with him. Uh, but it wasn't really a double team. It was more of kind of a show and get back, but it was on too long to get back. So I'm not quite sure what I would call it. Um, it meant that Nurkic had 20 and Cody Zeller had a bunch. Like, if they do that, Rudy could have 30 tonight. So they had the agent of um, Marvin Bagley complain that the Kings don't know what they're doing because they don't have him in the rotation. I think he got a DMP in the first game. But I thought, and I want to get your reaction to this, that the agent really blew it. If he was looking for the ultimate trump card to prove that the Kings management is beyond stupid, it would have been not to say that you're not playing Marvin as an example, but to actually use Marvin as an example by saying you guys thought he was better than Luka Doncic. that's how stupid you are. I actually think this is the first sign that they're, you know, trying to win. I think they've been trying to win for a while, but there, there aren't a lot of metrics that Marvin Bagley helps you win. Well, doesn't that prove how stupid they were that they yeah. thought he was more valuable? That was the ultimate trump card. The management would have said guilty as charged. Yeah, would have you used the only thing that would have been hard though in that press release is whether you use Luka Doncic or Trey Young. Or Jaron Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I would go Luke. I think he's better than Trey Young. I mean, nothing against Trey. He's a good nice how about player. Dallas's, how about Dallas's debut under Jason Kidd last night? I thought of you. <laughs> I knew. You don't like Jason Kidd as a coach? No. He well, took a team to the finals, man. No, he didn't. Well, he's a player. He's never I mean. won more than 41 games as a head coach. I meant as a player. Oh, fine. He's never won more than 41 games as a head coach. And he had Giannis. A young Giannis. Come on. Be fair. Fine, then go look at his Brooklyn roster and tell me how he only won 40 games there. Because it was a transition team. It was not. I don't even know who's on Brooklyn's team. <laughs> He's just, he just wants Kevin to Garnett. argue with you. <laughs> Who was on that team? I can't remember. <laughs> Darren Williams, Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce. Pretty good team. Oh, they were so old. And Williams was broken down. Come on, that's did obvious. You think of me, did you think of me more when Dallas had a bad night under Jason Kidd or when the Lakers looked as awful as they did on opening? Well, night? you also pumped up Portland, so let's uh, you know pump the brakes on your genius. Um, that is fair. I do think Portland, <laughs> Portland looked awful. Portland, Portland looked as the three teams I have not watched Dallas yet. The Lakers and Portland both looked disturbing. How about staff? Holy smokes! I went back. To, I can. I went back and watched. Uh, the first quarter but you last don't, night. But well, you don't see it with the Warriors. You don't know what everyone's getting all fired no, up about. Not to win the title. I mean, Steph's just amazing, though. Like, you can't, like, I was at dinner last night and we were talking about this and how the Warriors look, and I was like, the Warriors look fine because Steph's so unguardable that they have a four-on-three on every possession. 
He's just incredible. Like, there's never been anybody who's bent the game the way he has. It's amazing. They have a four-on-three on every possession. They've got numbers then. Right. We were were discussing about uh, earlier this morning that is the advent of the three, can you singularly point to Steph Curry as without question defining person and changing the game? Does it go beyond him, or how much do you put it on him? To what level? Um... I mean, he's the revolutionary player. But he also is, like, one of the greatest players of all time. So I want to – like, he would have been great in any setting of any time. He's probably the modern Pistol Pete, isn't he? A little shorter, maybe? Yeah, I mean – but his handle is the best there is in the league, and his shooting is the best there is in the league. He's just – he's insane. Like, um, But, yeah, he's the um, – he revolutionized the game. Yes or yeah, no? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Do you consider I mean, him a point guard? Well, I, here's the thing where he's revolutionized the game that hasn't happened yet. Is that his generation of players hasn't entered the league yet. Like, I think that's the next thing that mm-hmm. happens here. Is that the kids who grew up wanting to be, who were 10 years old when Steph Curry was great, are just about to start entering the league. And these kids are going to be shooting. For, they can shoot from everywhere. It's all they've ever done. Yep. Steve Cleveland has been telling us for a couple of years that when he goes to his grandkids' games, and you know it's not just their teams, but the other teams they're playing, or there's a tournament, he sees multiple teams. He says everybody goes out, dribbles through the legs, between the back, behind the back, and into a into a three off the dribble. And he said when he was coaching, nobody did that. Coaches didn't allow their guys to do that. If he was at a high school game, nobody really wanted to or thought about it. It is that whole transformational thing of these eight, ten, and twelve year olds watching on TV, and then they want to go do it themselves. Right, and they can do it. Like they're gonna they're gonna figure out and the weight trains better, so they can do it. They're gonna do it. No, it's gonna be great. I mean, if you go to jazz practice right now, they take a tremendous amount of their threes from five feet behind the line. It's a part of their daily routine is taking their three point shots five six feet uh, behind the line. Because everybody wants to bend the defense and turn everything into four on threes, three on twos, yep. two on ones. Yeah, yeah, and and frankly, the. Um, I was actually in a session once where I was giving an analytical presentation of what's next in the NBA, and my point was that the 30-foot three-point shot's a better shot than the 16-foot jump. So as the shot clock winds down, that should be your answer. Is launching, launching the, it should bring your three-point shooting down a little bit, but it's a better answer than pulling up for a contested 16-footer. So is that going to minimize the impact of the long, athletic uh, shot blocker, not just a Rudy Gobert type, but even Giannis who defends everywhere because it's going to spread guys out and you're not going to be able to get to people to help? Yeah, I mean, the concern, I mean, tonight's a good test for us because the Kings were the number one team in transition last year. And the concern for us with Rudy, remember Roy Hibbert? Like, Roy Hibbert got played out of the league. Rudy's way, way better than that. But the way Rudy gets minimized, in this is that all of a sudden everyone's shooting in the first six seconds of the shot clock and transition early shots from the three and you never play half court defense. If you're never playing half court defense ever again. So it's not just the deep three because I think Rudy impacts the deep three because for us, well, we can guard the deep three because we have Rudy in the middle. So we'll just step out with you. But it's the early three early in the shot clock where suddenly everyone's shooting in the first five or six seconds of the shot clock 
at a rate. And I'm watching it. Actually, the first night of the NBA, it didn't happen. I was pretty surprised. The three-point rate wasn't up. It was up 0.5% from all of last year. So it's not – there didn't seem to be a wide jump. You know, usually you can actually – surprising how small a sample size you need. One night is too small, but it's surprising how small a sample size you need to see the trends in the league early in the year. And so – I'll, I monitor this kind of on a nightly basis, and it, as of right now, there doesn't seem to be a dramatic change. We're also, you know, one night in, every team playing once. But um, we'll see. Two two notes for you, if I may, before you um, kick me off your show. Um, tonight on the TV broadcast for the Utah Jazz, Holly Rowe will be the analyst. Earl Bailey's got a wedding. And Katie Christensen will be the analyst on the – Sacramento Kings, she's their full-time analyst, so it will be one of the first. It's happened, I think, three or four times in league history where the analysts on both sides of the broadcast will be women, so that's pretty great. Um, So I thought that's important. And then just on a societal level, go read the Salt Lake Tribune Deseret News. That article about the Davis School District should be read. It's 12 miles outside of Salt Lake City. We need to read those articles and understand what's going on. David Locke has joined us on the Smart Rain guest line. Utah will be in a drought next summer. Smart Rain knows the 2022 budget planning for most businesses is already underway. Take advantage of their Save Now, Pay Later promotion and do your part by saving water while saving money. Check out Best of State Award winner Smart Rain at smartrain.net. There's a third one. What's the third one? Oh, no, I did two at the start and one at the end. Gosh, you're good. There you go. You notice you slide in, the sponsors served, the listeners served. Wow. There are few ever as good. When do you go into the Hall of Fame? That'll be up to you, David. You handle all that well, for me. I, I you're the guy. You're the guy who took me to a bagel shop and offered me a minuscule amount of money to uh, get into this. Yeah, I'm responsible for a lot of you guys. Not PK though. Not my responsibility. <laughs> if he likes to tell me every time he sees me. <laughs> Thanks, David. See ya. When we come back, your feedback, the final word on a Friday. Next, stay with us. And it's all over almost here. Don't go nowhere. Football Fridays are presented by Mountainland Supply, where the pros go for plumbing, landscaping, irrigation, agricultural irrigation, HVAC parts, tools, and safety equipment. Find a location near you at mountainland.com. Optimistic football fans on a football Friday. We got poll questions up at Twitter. David DJ James. And we got 72% of the Ute fans, or people voting at least in the Ute poll, say the Utes are going to win. 73% say BYU will win. And 85% say the Aggies will win. These numbers strike me as very high, PK, for no other reason than I'm used to. You know, the Utes and the Aggies going on and saying BYU is going to lose, or the Cougars and the Aggies going on and saying the Utes are going to lose, stuff like that. This is. These numbers are massive in favor of these teams sweeping, and the point spreads for these games by Vegas are all tight. The Aggies are two-and-a-half-point underdogs tonight. Utes are three-point favorites tomorrow, and BYU is a four-point favorite. Well, I think there's, uh, you know, we're one big happy family now. We've come together. And then also, I did think that happen? I missed that. I think it's a little bit of you. So go ahead and say, yeah, the Utes are going to win, so then your Ute neighbor can't trash talk you. Yeah, I saw that. I, don't talk to me. I already knew that. I mean, you love to do that. In fact, you've perfected the art of that. And so I think there's some of that going on. you got to look deeper, Dave. That's what I've always said. You look deeper. But they're not going to sweep. To be the negative Nelly and go against type, these three games, the opponents are too good. Two of them are on the road. They're not going to sweep. Okay. You Somebody's going down. Well, who? 
I don't know the answer to that. Well, if I had to pick, you don't know the answer to that. Pick, we I know pick, the answer. I would pick CSU. I mean, they are the favorite in this game. I have seen them play the least. They're the hardest for me to figure out. So you're going to pick the two more popular teams to win. I don't know that I'm going to pick them to win. I'm going to pick them. USU is the most likely to lose, but just because one of them is okay. going to lose doesn't mean two of them can can't lose. Can you make lose. a pick before I die? Ha! Ah! <laughs> Jeez. I did make one pick. Now you want a second pick and a third pick. I want pick. you to make picks. Yes. How outrageous is that? We got three teams I think the, we follow. I think the, uh, the third down number for Oregon State is just so glaring. The Utes extend drives, get points, and get it done. And and Which Oregon is what State I said so yeah Oregon I agree State with you. has got to attack the Utes strength and, and Kyle just said they average almost six yards a snap but the Utes barely give up three yards a snap no, so it's yeah. strength so on strength so you're going numbers okay that's reasonable CSU Utah and then the total wild card how does Wazoo respond without the head coach the play caller the line caller two defensive assistants I think it sharpens focus <sighs> I'm gonna go BYU. Right, so you're going to two more popular teams winning and then Utah State losing. I got you. Not 70, but it just still doesn't feel like a 70-30 pick with BYU. 60-40, Oh, so then if you're call. wrong, you can't say, ha, huh, see? I uh, got it. Got I can cover your bases. Good for you. You're, you are, you're better at this than I am. Why did you not run for office? Because you have politics deep, and you were a poli-sci major. You should have been. No. You would have been. I would have voted for you. You would not have. I, hell, I wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> Who you got? Well, I already told you Utah, so we agree okay. on that. What about the other two games? What do you think? You know, I think that I'm going to say that this is a galvanizing effect for Washington State. And I could be totally wrong. Come out and play the best football. But now it's, you, we always hear this cliche, us against the world, right? And now it can actually be true, yeah. as opposed to a cliche. Yes, more yeah. so. I mean, it's still a cliche to a degree, but more so truth. Because this is unprecedented, and they're hot. That's the shame about this, is this ball club, as I said earlier, you have to allow for teams to improve. This team clearly has improved. They had been a bad fourth-quarter team offensively, and now it looks like they're a good now, fourth-quarter team. I want team. BYU to win. I mean, I'll be the first to acknowledge it. I root we, for these local teams right, here. I've said did, it a yes. million times. If you want to assign me allegiance beyond that, go ahead. It's not true, but, but you if gotta, you want to, I don't care. But you got to pick them to lose if you think they're going to lose because if you just spray sunshine all the time, people aren't going to listen. That's most definitely people, true. Most people want the truth as you see it, even if you're wrong. I'm going to believe in the Blake Anderson magic. So you're going for the sweep then? All of the locals win? No, I just, no, I said. Oh, because Wazoo. Oh, because Wazoo. You're right. Okay, sorry. My bad. Blake Anderson magic. They're back on track, even though they didn't look that good at UNLV. Yes. The only thing I can think of is that they knew deep down, as Blake said on Monday, these guys knew that that team was 0-5. I could preach till I'm blue in the face, and they know. That explains, and, and I'm with you on that, and that explains to me why they were behind 17-7 to in the first quarter. But I still couldn't believe it took until 35 well, seconds left. because you let UNLV get some mojo yeah, going on. They did. And so now, but with won. the idea of first place and now legitimate claim at first place in your division with Boise losing again, it's right there for you. I think that's enough to motivate them. Three-game losing streak for the Y when we come back. No, I hope not. I'll be the first to admit it. It would be fun, in a sense, to see them go 4-0.
and set up in Vegas the rematch, Utah versus BYU for the Pac-12. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80. The Zone coming up next. Jake and Ben right here on The Zone.